That's your t-shirt now, don't I? This is the Black Rifle Coffee Podcast. All right, here we are again. We've got uh, Kevin Reeves, a PJ, former Ranger, myself, Tier Simak, Green Beret, and uh, contractor and slacker extraordinaire, Baker Levitt, a civilian. Absolutely. And our guest today is Master Sergeant Earl Plumley, a very recent awardee of the Medal of Honor. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> Thank you, Earl. Very matter of fact. No, pleasure. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Earl. Uh, you and I go back a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is that now? Five? Six? Maybe. I don't yeah, know. Something like I that. just refer to everything now as a couple of years because yeah, I, I don't you, know anymore. No yeah, some, some of my friends I've known a, uh, a couple of years and I find out it's like 20 and right. that's just awkward to talk about. It, it, it kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. 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 And then you waste a lot of time trying to figure out what year was what. Yeah. That's really only important when you're putting your VA packet in for disability. Yeah. yeah the and then you, you can default thing. back to Earl. Like how many Earls do you actually know on this planet? One. Really? Yeah. That's I a don't know. High it's rate of, of, that's a high rate of, that's an abnormal amount of Earls. Yes, it is a, is, it's hyper, hyper Earlism is what How many Earls do you know? I know one. Well, I just yeah, met Earl. I just yeah, met good to meet you. I know two, me being one of them. So, well, my first name is Baker and I've met two Bakers in my lifetime. But what's interesting is I have never in my life met someone the same last name as me. Interesting. Which is interesting because your father was a Green Beret. He was. He went through the second Q course ever. And hmm. you have, Siblings that are Green Berets. I have one. One sibling that's yep. Green Beret. Uh, but you didn't know that I did, I for a long time. A tremendous time. Yeah. yeah. So my, yeah. my brother, Mitchell, was a Force Recon Marine. He had just uh, de- coming back from deployment to uh, Monrovia, Liberia, and I'm going to pick him up at Lejeune. And I get a phone call. It's like, uh, hey, is this Baker Levitt? I was like, this is speaking. And she's like, yeah, I'm your brother's wife. And I was like, that sly dog. <laughs> like, what was, because he went from, he went from Iraq straight to Africa. And I was like, wait, wait. I'm like, I mean, a, a thousand questions. Like, what does she look like? Mm-hmm. Did you meet her in Africa or did you meet her in Iraq? And like, my brother's married. Holy shit, that's crazy. And I was like, that's, excuse me, come again? She's like, yeah, your brother will. I was like, oh, no, no, no. My brother's name is Mitchell. She's like, no, your brother will. And I was like, so who's Will? And then I found out that I had a half Vietnamese brother named Will Levitt. Oh. And then I found out I have a half Vietnamese brother named Pat. And then a few years later, I found out that I had a brother named Frank. Who my, so my dad grew up in New York City mm-hmm. and got in lots of trouble and they'd get arrested. And, and then I think like in 50, Green Bay started, what, 57, 54? 50. 50. So... We'll say 1952, the judge was like, you have two choices, army, jail. Dad chose army. <coughs> Goes through basic training, then uh, went through the second Q course ever and like immediately deployed over there. But while he was in the Q course, he got a young lady pregnant. Like you do. That's a mm-hmm. four-brag thing. Yeah. It's a, and the more, I, like, when my, and so the, when, and that guy was adopted by the team, fifth group sergeant major, whatever it's called, and his name was Frank. And so I got that as a Facebook message probably eight, nine years ago. My brother got it as well. And my brother, Mitchell was a force recon Marine. And like he, you know, there's all the bias and he thinks that green rays are fat guys that overplan everything. And they wear Vibram five finger shoes and all that stuff. And he was like, typical effing green beret, you know, got kids all over the world. And I was like, hold on, hold on. Like, wait, wait, like, don't be like, what's like, I didn't know. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, I, that was, and then so, and then what's another interesting thing was um, my dad got his CIB in Laos in 1960, which is, and then he did two tours with Fifth Group, one with Mac V, and then one with Sog. Yeah. So, and then, and then here you are. And here I am. I sitting was, with two Green Berets and a PJ. And I went to Air Force boarding school. Yeah. I was Air standing Force, in formation before all of you. So, that's, that's my first time in formation was in 1991 in Melbourne, Florida. I want to, oh. I want to let you know though, I was one hell of a Cub Scout. Like I was Order of the Arrow and Weeblows mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But, but you know, there was a Medal of Honor mm. for Cub Scouts. I would have had it. Yeah, but why yeah. didn't you get Eagle Scout? That's Boy Scouts. Yeah, but it's it, the thing yeah. with the Eagle Scout, the reason it's so valuable is it shows your ability to start a very difficult task at an early age and yeah. complete it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, my dad was very involved in my primary school years and not so much in my yeah. Boy Scout years. But your father was also a priest or preacher at a deaf Different church. Dad. Different dad. Oh, so you have multiple fathers. My yes, my birth father, the male stripper slash general contractor, oh, yeah. was also uh, involved in the Boy Scouts. My stepdad <laughs> was the pastor of the Deaf Church. Wow. Yeah. There's and a you lot, can sing There's the a lot songs. to unpack here. There's a lot to <laughs> yeah. unpack. Yeah. Let, let's focus on But that's, you. That's, that's a whole <laughs> other show. Yeah, but, very, yeah. very boring backstory until the military. We're trying to comparatively draw speaking. Yeah. in right now. We're yeah. trying to get him in early. Master Sergeant Earl They're Plumley. In. They're in. <laughs> I know uh, some of your backstory, but I know everybody else doesn't. So where do you hail from, sir? Uh, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah. Mer- Merritt, Oklahoma. There's and planes. You claim, uh, there's waving wheat. All, that's all, it's all there. But you, but you claim... Uh, yeah. When people ask me, I, t- I say Texas. Right. Um, there you go. That's where, that's where I joined out of. Uh, yeah. and, uh, so it's my driver's license. It's where I pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how old were you enlisted? Um, so I was, I joined the national guard when I turned 18 while I was still in high school. Um, and, and, uh, were you a split train? I was supposed to be, but I, I kept. Um, I don't speak SF. What's oh, split? What does that that's even a, that's mean? That's actually a, so a National Guard. You though. can you can join I, the National Guard, yeah. uh, like I did, yeah. and uh, I joined it at the beginning of the school year, my uh, junior year. And then that summer, I would go to uh, uh, basic training, and I would come back, finish my senior year of high school, and then immediately following that, I would go um, to AIT and, and get a an MOS. Gotcha. Um, I didn't attend. Uh, basic training because I kept getting in fights and I, uh, had broken, broken bones, <laughs> uh, and I couldn't ever, uh, ship to uh boot camp, which, uh, all my friends in high school joined with me. So they all had to go to basic training and then I stayed back, um, you know, partying the whole summer. So, you know, sounds great. <laughs> There's look, some grudges made. Look, Not tolerating. Look at you now. Talk us into this. Yeah. <laughs> look at you now. <laughs> Did, so you get, did you get meritorious promotion? Like, did you get your I did. So or? I got all my friends to join the National Guard. Uh, I got promoted uh, to E3. So they all came back from uh, basic training as E1s and E2s. And then I was um, put in charge of them as a, a senior soldier. <laughs> and I'd never, uh, I'd never been to uh, basic training. That is great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That is, that's, that's the government. That's, yes. That's government so you, is, yeah. so you basically got a, Bonus or commission by getting people to enlist. Yeah. So every, I forget exactly what you got, but for however many um, people you could uh, get to sign up, they would promote you. Yeah. Up until like, I think it stopped at D3. Yeah. But uh, I think we I used got, to call it back in the day, and even the drill sergeants called this, called this. They used to call it the fuck your buddy program. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I know about That's that? That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the recruiter, he might lie to you. Your friend always going to tell you the truth. And I was like, I found this great deal. We go <laughs> off roading. All weekend at Humvees, they're going to give us a couple hundred bucks. It's going to be great. Sounds awesome. And um, 
you know, most of that's not, that's not true. Uh, how, many years ago, how many years ago was that? Uh, it was in 1998. So are you still friends with those guys? Uh, I still keep in contact with some of them casually. Uh, yeah. most of them, um, did a substantial amount of time, um, in the, in the national guard. And, uh, one of them is, is still kicking around out there. So, you know, <laughs> so they got uh, over it. So what, you what, started winning like harsh, hearts and minds and nation yeah. building like before you even went off to basic, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and I was, you were a Green Beret. He really did. <laughs> you didn't even know. You were doing yeah. a mission before you were yeah, We want this guy. He signed up 75 people. <laughs> no, and I I, uh, I continue the trend. Um, I, I spent a lot of time because I was a Marine after that. I uh, I went, served in the uh, infantry. and what, then What was your first MOS? Yeah. You so my, my very first MOS, because uh, I never got an MOS in the National Guard. No kidding. Uh, I, I did uh, two or three years there and never successfully. Never was uh, fully qualified. I got a driver's license, but, you know, that was, they kind of had to give me that so I could do something for them. <laughs> um, but my, my very first MOS is, uh, was an 0351, uh, which is a infantry MOS. And it's an anti-armor assaultman. That's that's a Marine Corps MOS, right? Yeah. What was your what what did you enlist as initially? So I they have a program. So if you were a Marine, uh, they will in, instantly just make you an eleven Bravo so that you qualify to attend selection. And oh no, I mean in the in the guard. And I never I, I never you got. You didn't even have like a contract for. I had a contract for. I was supposed to be a thirteen Mike MLRS gotcha. crewman, um, but I, I never successfully uh, completed any of the training. Right. What is, what is your, because you weren't capable, or you just never. <laughs> no, never, I, I mean, I, every time it came up that I, they, I was. Well, you know, it's summer. It's spring. That's when all the high school parties happen. That's true. And um, you had priorities, and I had. I would be at those. Right. And uh, I was a slightly built fellow, and uh, I got a boxer's fracture, and I refused to let it heal, and I. I I broke it uh, several times um, before I learned not to hit people with my my right hand. Mm. And uh, it all makes and sense I'm, now. Yep. And, what, is, uh, what does your DD two fourteen reflect for that time period where you were a uh, question? Mark. He doesn't have one yet. Uh, no, they so they gave me well, one. They gave like me that. a DD two fourteen. I have six DD two fourteen. Actually, so do yeah. I. Yeah. We, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Every time I go to, to the S one to. Uh, Get my record scrub. They, they, you know, they get a cup of coffee and and start rubbing their head. Yeah, because it's so a mess. DD, so for those listening that don't know what a DD two fourteen is, that is basically your military service. That's service your discharge. Your discharge paper. Well, no, yeah. it's, it it lives. It follows you. You change but it basically services. tells what you did and your yeah. right. it's like your biography. Your, it's your but, it's your biological so, passport yeah. for your time in the military. The anomaly of having six, <laughs> like Earl does, like I do, is that most people that enlist have one. It's, it's they get one when they get out. Yeah. So, okay. I'm not, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Six and six. Okay. Well, they went paperless and then it became a real pain in the ass. Because you used to take my, (laughs) I love me binder and just go put it in the thing. Yeah. And then it went. I don't know what it says. I know know it reflects the amount of drills I attended. I have great drill attendants because I was always available. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for your service. Yeah. 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 So you were, and then how did you, so then what, you were in the So it's because it's the National Guard. If you, if you elect to go active duty, um, that basically wipes out your uh, National Guard contract, and then the active side will pick it up, and uh, you you go forth and, and do that. So uh, I kept getting in trouble, and uh, everybody decided it'd be a really good idea if I maybe didn't uh, live in Oklahoma for a little while. And the Marine Corps was that mostly the state of Oklahoma. That, it was yeah, mostly it was the everybody. state of Oklahoma. Was okay. re- <laughs> real excited uh, about finding keeping me busier somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the DA and the Marine Corps recruiter had a, a chat, and then uh, D- as in district attorney. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
This is awesome. This is so awesome. <laughs> I'm so excited right now. You didn't tell me behavior. You're so yeah, I got I got exiled from the state of Oklahoma uh, for a year, and uh, I got all my charges dropped in lieu of military service. And uh, so like my father. Yeah, there you go. Dad, so the is that you did? Recruiter came and he's like, "Here, sign these, this uh, contract." And I said, "What it is? What is it?" And he said, "It's the only one you're getting, so sign it." And uh, <laughs> and that's how I, I I joined the infantry. Where'd you go for the year? I I went to um Parasite. I went to Marine Corps Recruit Depot um okay. uh, San Diego gotcha and I elected not to take leave at the end of it because I couldn't go back to Oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> use or lose and oh, this uh, guy's genius no he's just not allowed yeah no. <laughs> dedicated right uh, and then I uh, I went uh, to uh, the School of Infantry which is in Camp Pendleton and uh, was just making sure to cover all my bases uh, I. I elected to serve overseas. Um, there's a little box you can tick for that. And the, the only overseas duty station they had for infantry, unbeknownst to me, was Hawaii. And uh, I, I was um, stationed in Hawaii for the remainder of my uh, uh, contract. That sounds horrible. That's on the windward side, right? People like, were questioning what kind of punishment it actually was. Right, uh, right. <laughs> I feel yeah. like that's yeah, we're going to get his ass. Awesome yeah. outcome. Because I, Hawaii. I had, uh, you know, I, I got in trouble with all my, my friends and they got different... Uh, Levels of punishment, uh, community service, and and uh, the like, and uh, you know, I I just left and was living in Hawaii, sent, you know, calling them from the beach. So, and uh, so then you got out of the Marine Corps. I got I uh, I finished my enlistment, and what then year was this? Uh, this would have been two thousand four. Okay, and then I I volunteered for a program called RMAT, um, where you could attempt to become a force recon marine, um, and I think it was eighteen months or two years of orders that you could uh, volunteer for and you got in a, um, a train up and then you would try to become a force recon Marine. And then whatever time was left, you could just go to schools and then coming. So it's made for guys that were just um, coming off the street and maybe didn't have any experience uh, in the military. So they would go to boot camp, school of infantry, um, get trained up to be physically able to pass and then make their attempt. Um, Sounds like the 18X program. It's, it's very similar to the 18X program. But uh, you know, me coming from the infantry, I had a, a no break in service. Uh, I, I can, did my, uh, we call it RIP, Recon Indoctrination Program. You stole that from and, us. Uh, <laughs> it's a R and uh, some, it ends eventually. I, maybe P. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I was a, you know physically able and... and uh, Got brushed up on a few skills and and then uh, went to uh, ARS, which is gone now, but um, and then became a force recon marine. ARS is advanced. amphibious reconnaissance. Amphibious, okay. Got which it. my brother, when we had the last adaptive shoot, uh, Kelby Price was there, and he's like, "You're Baker." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "You're Mitchell's brother." And I went, "Yeah." He goes, "Your brother put me through ARS and rep," and I was like, "Really?" He's like, yeah, and he, there was a, a some ranger guy that my brother made quit. Now he, and it's this like really famous story. He's like, yeah, he found this dead caudalfish on the beach in Okinawa and made him carry it around for an entire day, and the guy quit because of it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> he carried a dead fish with him all day. <laughs> I carried a turtle with me for three days in ranger school. I thought it was great. I had a friend all the time. Carrying a Somebody dead thank you. I carried a rock, but I didn't know it. Mm. Mm. Yep, yep. The old rock. <laughs> the old rock. So you're a force recon marine. Yep. How long were you a force recon marine? Uh, until 2008. So in, in 2008, um, I, I got a, a, a class from a, a more senior fellow, and he kind of explained to me mission and authorities and all the things I thought I was going to get to do as a, as a Marine weren't necessarily true. MARSOC had just stood up 
And, um, you know, he's like, if you're going to do special operations, uh, you're, you're in the wrong place. Like the Marine Corps is, is, uh, the most elite conventional fighting force on the planet. And that's what they love and do. And if, if you want to do other things, you should, you should go over here. And, uh, so, uh, I called uh, some around and they put me in touch with a, a special operations recruiter and, and, uh, they, you know, recommended me to apply from a, get home to a state, get my DD-214, go see a recruiter and get an 18X-ray contract, uh, which is what I did. I had a, a 12-hour break in service. You had the EAS from the Marine Corps where you were so, forced. Yep. So I, I took a, again. I took terminal leave. And if you have terminal leave, uh, you're able to begin in processing the Army. So I went and saw the recruiter and he did up a contract for me. And uh, as soon as my terminal leave was over, I came in and... and uh, and enlisted in the army as a an 18 X-ray. What uh, what pay grade did they bring you in at? In the army? Uh, I, I I left a I left the Marine Corps as a E5 promotable, and I didn't really think it that far ahead. But man, I wish I had pinned. I got to keep E5, but it zeroed out my uh, time my grade. time and grade. So yeah, it yeah, set me back a few years. Yeah, uh, but uh, it you know it worked out. Yeah, but yeah, if I had. In hindsight, I wish I'd uh, extended for like three months and then pinned and came across. But yeah. so you had to go through like was it selection? What's it? That's yeah. That's the case. Yeah. yeah. So did you have to do that? Yeah, I went to. I, so I joined and then I went with all the fresh meat down to Fort Benning, and we got issued uniforms. And the you know at the end of the hall, they all went left to attend uh, um, boot camp, and I made a right and got on a bus and went to selection. Did you have to do SOPC? Or, I did. I, I did SOPC. Which is a uh, special operations preparatory course, right? That's like the 21 day. No, it's a, no, no. It's a, it's a hold and, uh, and then it's like a training. So a lot of the selection, especially like the land nav and then like the, the um, particularly like uh, knots, mm-hmm. your, your average kid off the street, unless he was, a, you know, a super boy scout yeah. is not really equipped to graduate selection. So they just try to level that playing field and, and give him enough, um, um, basic skills that he gets a fair shot at, at yeah. There's a, selection. a lot of intestinal <clears throat> fortitude and resiliency that's, that's, uh, that's looked at in the, in the SF selection process. But if you can't tie fancy like, knots, uh, like just three basic knots You're about to have a hard, or hard time hold or figure out what an azimuth is in the dark, you have zero chance of passing selection. What knots are they? Bowling square knot and uh, and probably a basic lashing. Yeah. I think. The trucker's hitch. That was a that was oh, a big one that came up. Has uh, anyone had problems weight. with the square knot? You'd be I surprised. Can tie, I can tie that. Yeah, right over left, right over right. I can That's teach right. in French. Gauche droit, drop to gauche. Yeah, but yeah, you can tie it. You can tie it right now. You can't tie it in the middle of the night while I'm pouring water on you, yelling at you. Well, I got to do it underwater. I mean, yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's doable. Yeah. <laughs> so land nav, land nav, super important. Land nav will get you. Yeah. My favorite. Land nav story of all time is when Evan Hafer tells that story. It was like during Q course and the wetsuit story. And so he's sitting there and it's like winter, raining, sleeting, miserable conditions, the worst possible. (laughs) And one of the instructors is standing there and like, I guess, BDUs or whatever, and that's it. Yep. And Evan's like, that is the hardest son of a bitch I have ever seen in my entire life. Inspiring. I don't know how he did it. And it was inspired him. And he runs into him in Iraq a few years later. And he's like, man, I just want to tell you, man, that was amazing. He's like, oh, no, I had a three mil wetsuit on underneath that. <laughs> Guy had, Evan had no clue. And it just, he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> but we, used to, yeah. we used to do it all the time. We'd buy, uh, this is back in probably like 2001 or two. We'd go down to the mountain shop, you know, in Tacoma or wherever that was. And you'd buy the Arteric soft shell and you'd roll the collar in. 
and keep it kind of flat and wear it underneath your BDU top. So mm-hmm. you looked harder than you were because you're actually pretty toasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great technique. I, so, I, I avoid cold weather. No, I, so, I, I at all times. Yeah. Yeah. So how was fan. the selection thing for you? Uh, it, you know, it was, I, I knew that I was going to get selected. I was, um, that's, that's a bold statement. I, I knew I, 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 uh, physically I was, uh, toward the top of the class for, yeah. for almost every event. And I, I didn't know how many people they were going to select. I knew they were going to, they had to select at least 10. So I never let more than 10 people pass me at, at any event. I knew that, um, especially being a force recon Marine, the land nav, was not I wasn't going to fail land nav. Yeah. Were you were you a force recon in Okinawa? Um no. Okay. Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii. All right. Um but yeah, I did I did do the land nav course out in uh, Okinawa, which you, you know, that one you have to have repel ropes to get the points. Yeah, so my I, brother I was, was like, a force recon marine and he Mitchell tells me he's like I think the topo maps in Okinawa yeah. don't start until 80 feet. Right. <laughs> like, so like, I don't really know what that means, so you, but it sounds hard. It's it's, it's hard. Re- I've I've walked onto points uh, out there and I'm like I'm within 10 meters to this damn point, where is it? And then you look over a cliff and like, you know, 60, 70 feet down, you, you can see the marker and then, you you know, you get your rope out and climb down there. So that's, I, I knew they weren't going to have these young 18 x-ray kids um, going after points like that. And uh, so like, I, I knew that I was going to get selected. It still um, was not uh, the best experience, <laughs> uh, you know, even, even being like physically, you know, physically toward the top of the class, I was, I was beat down every night. Um, and I was very excited when it was over. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was hard. It was hard. It was, I've done harder things in, as single events, but I think that's the hardest thing I've ever done, like for an extended period of time. What was the hardest part for you? Like look, looking back now, not in the, like in the moment, not looking back, but like in that moment, what was the most challenging part for you? The, the, the most challenging part, um, because you know, selection starts, it's just you. And then as you go through it, they, they build the teams. And so team week, you lo- you kind of lose the ability to d- directly impact your own fate. Mm-hmm. So you can influence it. You can help the team. You can, you know, and the guys get to exchange uh, being in charge. You have essentially have the power to not quit. Yep. At that point, and that was uh, they have one, have an event called Down Pilot, and I think oh, almost yeah. my entire team quit. My you know I had two teams, but my my entire team quit on the Down Pilot. And uh, this thing, you're carrying this big frame, and it's it weighs like 800 pounds. And uh, I think we started off with 17 guys, and we finished with like five or six. And I was I was like looking around. If one more guy quits, uh, I don't know what we're going to do because th- there's you need like, a minimum number to carry the to down carry pilot. the thing. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we, we got through, we got through that and, uh, you know, they blew us apart and we all went to, to different teams, but that was the hardest thing for me. It was, is if you get somebody that's, that's not confident and he's come up with a crappy plan, you're a slave to that. So, mm-hmm. uh, cool. Can that impact you? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, it's, you know, selection's not fair. So if you, if you get on a bad team and, and you have any kind of weaknesses, um, whether it be physical or you, maybe you have an injury and you get a bad team, um, I mean, you're just your chances of not making it have just gone up. And uh, oh, so have, there's guys that are like absolutely physically capable and would be, you know, great green berets, but sometimes they don't make it because they're in the best shape of your life. If you don't have the mental game in there, you're not going to make yeah. it. Or, you know, somebody drops something on you and breaks your leg. Yeah. It's hard mm-hmm. to finish with one leg. Well, and I think the, the team that is suffering or struggling or whatnot gets a little more scrutiny and therefore it makes the statistical yep. probability of failing go up if you're on that team, even if you are a strong Yeah, because everybody's, what's going, what's on, what's what's with these guys? Because the yeah. something's wrong and they yeah. want to figure out 
what is wrong. And it's usually a person somewhere that they don't right. want to continue. And additionally, Baker, there's zero feedback. Like you see videos of buds or anything where they're just yelling at people, the megaphone, you don't have that selection and it drives people nuts because they don't know how they're doing. Yeah, my, my first uh, experience where I was like, I, I'm in a different league uh, is they have a big, big giant monkey bars and I was like, monkey bars are easy. But then I get there, you're, we're not using our hands. We're walking across the top mm-hmm. and uh, this guy Water. walks up and yeah. he slips off and he lands like on his head and obviously broke his clavicle because his, his arm is twisted up in an unnatural angle. And, he, you know, he's uh, he's screaming and the, the instructor walks over and he's like, you know, Candida, I need to know, would you like to reattempt the, the obstacle or would you like to quit? And, uh, you know, the kid's like, you know, I want to quit. <laughs> Did you ever think about quitting? No, I never thought about quitting. No one has ever said yes. I thought about quitting. Really? Mm. Yes. Actually, I know why? the exact moment when yes. that was. Luke Pilgrim tells the story. <laughs> he thought about quitting. He wrote an article about it. Yeah. Um, and he somehow was able to go sit in a portalette and just cried himself senseless. <laughs> and then after he cried on the portalette, he was better and he was good to go. When did you think about quitting? Yeah, Hills of Pain. Mm. What is that? It's a team week event uh, where you were resupplying indigenous force with water from a creek at the bottom of the hill to an agent at the top of the hill. And the, this is in the Sand Hills in North Carolina, by the way. So walking up a hill with under, under load is hard, but then you've got, you're doing this four time with a ruck in sand and your guy at the top of the hill, uh, like if you slosh too much water, doesn't count, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. So it ends up being a problem solving and team leadership. That's episode. maddening. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, so each team member gets issued two buckets and a lashing. Um, I did not come from a tactical background. I knew how to tie knots because I had to tie the bridles. Horse stuff. And yeah, I yeah. rode horses for the army before I went to selection. So I'm going to use everything. Available. Oh, I've got this lashing. Clearly I'm supposed to use it. So I tied a water knot, which I learned at selection, on onto both uh, pails. And then I hung it around my neck like I was a Dutch girl. And I tried to walk up the hill with two full buckets of water hanging off my neck and a 45-pound rucksack on my back. Are we talking five-gallon buckets? Uh, what are they like? I think they're like two. Okay. Yeah. What? They're not comfortable. They're not know. comfortable. It's, it's enough that you know it's there. And especially yeah. if they're tied around a rope around your neck. Yeah. So that was dumb. Uh, and I owe my friend, Justin, um, who is still serving in, in a USASOC unit. I, I owe him a debt right there because he was coming up on my right. And I said, uh, it, actually you may have worked with him in 275 back in the day. Hmm, um, but, uh, I said, I don't think I can make it, man. He's like, fuck you. He said, said, you can make it. You made it this far. You can keep going. So I didn't quit. But I also adjusted like, oh, I don't have to wear this like a yoke on my neck. I can use my hands like like a person with opposable thumbs. Mm. And that's that's what separates us is these bad boys. That's uh, most of it. Yeah. (laughs) The the amazing thing about that particular event for me uh, was that we had a guy that finished that vent and then VW'd, voluntary withdrawal, quit. He quit that, after the event was over. He he decided it wasn't for him, but he wasn't going to let the team down because he knew we'd have more work. And hmm. that to me spoke, I'm like, bro, you are the guy we need in this regiment. I always want to talk to those guys that like quit at a strange, like you, nobody quits right before the event starts. Right. They're like quit 
afterwards. Yeah. Like, I barely got through that. I'm not going to make Todd, the next Todd one. Ehrlich, uh, the guy that started Kill Cliff, he had a guy in Bud's quit like the Thursday night of Hell Week. Yeah. Like no one, apparently no one quits Bud's after Wednesday. Like it just, it's never happened. This dude was like the night before. He's like, nah, this isn't for me. <clears throat> what was the hardest part for you in PJ school? Hmm. That's a great question. I didn't really know what I was getting into. So it's kind of a funny story. I've talked about this one other time. So coming from battalion, I had a buddy. Did we talk about this? Anyways, uh, my buddy, Nick, he gets out of battalion. He had a shorter contract. He gets out of battalion about a year before I did. And we had had a similar experience in Afghanistan on one of the trips doing ranger things. And we, we saw PJs. We're like, oh, you've got cool gear. What do you do? You know, trying to figure it out. So he's in the pipeline. So he's gone through indoc. He's somewhere along the pipeline. Who knows? Free falls here. Dive doesn't, doesn't matter. And I call him up and I said, hey, it's time for me to get out. Um, I think I'm going to do this PJ thing. You know, just a calculated, this is the direction I want to go based on, uh, you know, numerous circumstances. However, Nick says to me, well, I ask him, like, how do I prep for this thing? Now, keep in mind, I'm 230 pounds, and I basically kick doors and, like, fuck people up in Afghanistan and most recently Iraq. He goes, and this is his voice, uh, nothing, you'll be fine. I go, okay. So I show up. And <clears throat> he's trying to get a, a promotion bonus by recruiting yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> he's going to love it. <laughs> Can I get E3 now? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I show up and the first person I meet, he's actually an officer in the pipeline, but the, the people in the pipeline are cones. They'll train the younger guys, right? I was in the uh, reserve in uh, Patrick Air Force Base. So this guy, we meet in the evening and we have numerous shots of alcohol, whatever it is. He goes, cool. I'll see you at zero six. We're going to do, we'll meet at the track and then we'll do some pool stuff. I'll show you what you can expect in indoc. I said, awesome. He shows up in short shorts like we all do. And he's got Olympic rings tattooed on his calf. Oh, so I go, mm, fuck. He was a uh, pentathlete, right? So he can do all the cool things. We do 2200s on the track and then we go to the pool and now, I knew they did water things, so I would swim 300 meters and go, let's go Jack Steele. We're doing underwaters. I learned what an underwater is, and it's a hypoxic state of terrible. But I just know <laughs> that everything above the surface, the air is lava and whatnot, and I just don't go up there because they tell me not to. So we get in the pool, and he explains. He's like, you're going to do minute 30s, and then I'm going to back him down to minute 15s. That's the interval from where you start to where you end, and you go subsurface and then surface swim back. And he goes, also that extremely attractive lifeguard on the deck in Patrick Air Force Base, on base, that's a PJ's wife. So mm, don't look. I'm like, fuck. And I'm thinking, I don't have a string in my Sophie shorts. So every time I push off, my ass comes out, you know, ass out, shorts up, swim. So I'm losing immense amounts of um, momentum, right? I do about 15 of these things. And he goes, you're doing great. How do you feel? I go, I'm good. You know, sir, he was a captain, uh, cross training guy. So he goes, awesome. I want you to swim as far as you can and just don't come up. I go, okay, push off. I'm swimming, ass out, shorts up, other end, I hit my 25, push off, ass out, you know, ass out, shorts up, do it again. I come into the 50 and I'm a little hazy. Things are narrowing a bit, but I hit the wall, push off, PJ wife, ass out, shorts up. I'm going for the 75 and the lights go out. But I don't know. I land somewhere in the pool, but I wake up on the deck to the dude, the chief of the unit, Kostranek, KK. Um, I hadn't seen him. He magically showed up and he's smacking me across the face. 
and the officer who is the Olympic ring guy is holding me and my eyes are closed and I just go tingly because that's my first, you know, subsurface blackout. And he goes, no, prior to this, they had a bunch of people fail. And he calls me on the phone. He goes, you're a fucking ranger, right? And I go, Roger chief. He goes, I need you here in two days and we're going to send you to NDOC. I was like, Roger chief. So I show up and this is my first event. This is the first time I've actually physically met him and you know, whatnot. There was a PT test, but that was prior. Uh, so I wake up to KK and he goes, you just motivated the fuck out of me. <laughs> I'm like, how far did I make it? He goes, fucking far. I go, great. I'm thinking I'm done. Right. And it's terrible. It's no fun at all. Then we do over and backs, which is more underwater activities with burpees and push-ups, And then we do a bunch of buddy breathing, which is another terrible event. That's not fun. That was my worst day. I never thought about quitting, but that was my worst day. Like WaterCon at Indoc, you know, we even killed a guy. We had a guy go into, you had a, you know, pre-existing heart condition. You have to in every class, right? Um, or this, this everybody recycles. Like, yeah. Yeah. You have to kill a dude. <laughs> yeah. You have to kill a dude. Anyway. So yeah, like we, we killed a dude in my class. I fuck with the young guys all the time. But, um, anyways, I go to Indoc and because that day was so out of the blue and I hadn't really been warmed up to it. Now in Indoc, you kind of work your way to like that day and we do a hell night, you know, whatever. I get through the whole thing. And that being my memory of a challenging time, I call Nick back up and I go, Hey Nick. He's like, what's up, man? I go, you could have told me to swim a fucking lap or like breathe on a snorkel or some sort of story. And he goes, no, I said you would be fine and you're fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sounds like Trevor. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. Like Trevor. <laughs> yeah, you're good. So yeah. anyways, I never thought about quitting necessarily. And I thrived off of watching people quit. So as a prior enlisted dude, it was me and uh, uh, Chris Claftenager, a former corpsman, um, Marine Corps recon guy, actually. Mm. Um, we were roommates. So we were both E5s. And I would make people do ins and outs. So I put a pull-up bar in the threshold. And if they wanted to quit, they had to come talk to me first or, or Chris, right? So they'd do pull-ups and then they'd come in and they'd kind of stand at parade rest. And we'd talk about why they wanted to quit and I would make them wait another day. No, I, they don't have to. Most of the time they would disappear before morning formation. But when they came back, this, the first time was encouraging. You know, was, I'm like, hey, you can do it. It's, it's not that hard. Lots of people have done it. Um, the second time they came... I would destroy them. And I would ask them, I'm like, you should call your dad and tell him why you're quitting and really own exactly what you're doing right now and your weakness. Like call your dad, leave this room and go call your dad and then make your decision. And nine times out of 10, they were gone. So we went from about 90 or like 80 and change to about 10 guys. That's amazing that you even had that talk. Like for SFAS, it's just candidate you failed to negotiate this option. Yeah, I'm, not, a, I'm not an instructor though. And I'm within like, the class. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, I'm okay. within the class. I'm a student I, or I'm a, a candidate or whatever the fuck you want to call yeah. it. You know, in, I, do, I do notice something similar though. You know when everybody quits in the middle of the night? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like you disappear. go to sleep yep. and then you get up in the morning and there's holes in the formation. Yeah. Because guys, just nobody wants to own that in the daytime and yeah. especially like, hey, call your dad and you're, tell him you're about to quit. Yep. Nobody wants to make It sounds like it was they all end up living together in... Well, back then we called it the shack of shame. I think that's been uh, PC oh, yeah, by now. Shot, yeah. But it's, it sounds to me like, I think personally one of the worst things a person can possess within their body is pride. And it sounds to me like the guys that would quit in the night, it was a pride thing. Oh, yeah. They didn't want Absolutely. people to see them quit. But they, they were like, oh, man, I'm fine, man. I, you know, Great uh, got, I got fucked. Yeah. Source, though. Like the guys that quit, like, oh, man. You know, the the first one or two that happens, you're like, oh, sorry to see you go, man. If If 
you saw them packing up their stuff. After after a week, you're just like, you're just blunt with them. Hey, man, yeah. can I have your socks and chow? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how they're doing it now. If if we if people didn't quit, I don't know that selection could operate because they were the ones that were. Uh, you know, they thought they were going home. They're not. They, they don't go home. They're they going to the shack of shame, and then they organize the events. They're yeah, they end up, they're setting up they water points. No, they end up yeah. working. Oh, that's so cool. all the time. So like, that's yeah. cool. It'd like, be interesting to see what happened if nobody ever quit. Hey, Selection would grind if to a you halt. Quit, you don't get to leave. You're still here, and you yeah. get to watch us you make it. You get to watch well, everybody else no, make yeah. it. PJ PJ Land, they they disappear. Um, the the most gratifying quitting was in the pool. Because you're underwater and you, you'll you see people or watch people or see them above you popping on underwaters. Yeah. And you watch it. They pop once. Now that gateway to failure is open and it starts flooding. It's, and then they it's pop, contagious. Maybe pop once yeah. on one underwater. The next one is like one, then it's two, then it's three, then that's it. They're Quitting done. is contagious. Oh but my God. Are there guys in your class, like in your different classes that you're like, this guy's a shit bag. I want him out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like there's people that you want to quit, right? Yeah. Okay. So team week. Everything in in the Special Forces Qualification Pipeline has peer evals. So we had three guys that it's made a, it. All I think it's a key event to anything. Yeah. If there's if if you're selfish and you are are really protecting yourself to the detriment of the team, you have just um, elected to leave against your will because you'll you'll uh, get your peer evals and they'll call you out for it. All your you know people that are watching you when the instructors aren't. And uh, you'll be herded to the door. Do you? Do and, you be, and, and everybody's peer eval. Do you become more honest as the peer evals go along? Like your first peer eval, like, oh, you know, he's not so bad. And then you're like, this guy's horrible. No, nah, there's because there's enough stress. Yeah. That I I've never like covered a guy for like, ah, oh, you know what? He's terrible and he doesn't belong here. But sure is nice. There's, there's, no, there's, like if, yeah. if you're not, you're kind of stripped to the bone yeah. at that point. So, <laughs> Chris <laughs> Chris Orwin, uh, he's a, a seal. He would get guys and he'd be like, hey man, let's get out of here. They'd be like, all right, man, let's go. And they'd start running towards the bell and they'd get there first and ring it and he'd turn around and run back. To the <laughs> I love it. There's that. none of that. Eight guys. Eight guys he did. He, 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 he said eight confirmed kills. He said that's what he called them. Uh, my team, we talked a guy into quitting, but he needed to quit. Like he was fucking the entire team. Our first team event took two hours longer than it was supposed to because you know, in, in any team event, you, you know, the, you're only as good as your weakest link, right? Right. And going into any kind of team sport, we, we go that. And the guy that was in charge of that particular event, he, he was going in it with a team attitude instead of a selection attitude. So mm. this guy was failing the event. So he put him up front to pace the rest of the team. And it ended up screwing everybody else. Once he got it through to his head that, and I think I mentioned this earlier when the cadre said, this is the only thing, the only feedback he gave that entire time, other than just writing things down in his notepad ominously, was selection is an individual event. That's all he said. Yeah. Yep. And the, the team leader for that was like, Roger Sarn. And so he kicked him in the back. And once he couldn't keep up, he got, he got axed. But, are there guys that are like physically capable, but just not right in the head? Most of them, oh, absolutely. Like yeah. they won't yeah. quit, but like it's just you, they're just horrible teammates. Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah, that's the other thing. You know, stress. Like mm-hmm. so, there are things where your night gets longer and harder, or, or the event's just a train wreck because uh, you know certain people just don't operate under well or under operate under stress well. Mm-hmm. And you could be you know very fit and, and very intelligent, and maybe you just don't deal with stress, and then so you miss things that are important for everybody involved. The great equalizer. Yeah. 
And uh, I've been uh, really surprised at at uh, how stress will uh, just degrade a person's uh, ability to think or, or act. What was your best skill in the Q course? Like what were you, or selection or before you got into like the language stuff? I, think, I guess, uh, um, I guess my best skill, um, having come from the, the infantry and, and being a force recon Marine, uh, I almost, I was the guy if, especially in SUT, if, if you wanted to get a map check, like I knew where we were at, um, because by the time I had uh, entered the Q course, I didn't. I don't see lines on the map. I actually see the terrain, which is a, is fairly unique. So I I I was like the human GPS. So that's important, though. right? Yeah, especially Man, key. as a, yeah, yeah. When you're yeah. when you're uh, getting evaluated on leading a patrol, and you're supposed to be the guy, and uh, you know I'm just, you know I've already did my patrol. I'm just carrying heavy weight in the woods at this point, and you're like, hey, where are we at? And I'm like, we're right. This is it. Ten digits of promise. Don't use your finger. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up that pine needle. Well, and, uh, why well, can't you use your finger? It's too, your too finger's fat. too big. That's yeah, too big. Especially your fingers. Yeah, use what about yeah. yours? I well, pass. Equally useless. <laughs> well, I, I think there's something to be said for, uh, you know, being empowered a little bit by being a prior service guy. Yeah. So coming in as a Ranger Battalion yeah. dude and having young guys look at me and figuring out your yeah. resume and it, it made it. Yep. I don't want to say easy. That's a fucked up thing to say, but there's definitely like, but, I'm and, the dude. But then you also had your, 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 your previous, you didn't want to be judged by your bro. Uh, you were a ranger. Oh, but he quit PJ school. Like you couldn't yeah. take oh, that well, back. I guess I never thought about that. It was more empowering. Like you look at these young dudes cause I'm like a middle-aged human, you know, I thought I'd be dead anyways, but, um, they're looking at you like, well, this is a ranger dude. So there, there's, I mean, quit's not even in the equation, mm-hmm. but there's also an empowering factor to that. Right, like yeah. you make shit look easier because you're fucking Marine, dude. And now you're doing selection right. and everyone looks at you because who knows where they came from. At least in my world, they're young kids. They're off the street right. for the most part or cross training. I had whatever. the exact opposite experience with that. Land nav was super hard for me. I learned <laughs> land nav in selection. And that's a nightmare. What, yeah, was, what was were you best at? Rocking. Really? Yeah. Just having shit. a tick on my back. Yeah. Just going. Just going. Yeah. What'd you weigh when you went through? 194 is what I started at. What'd you start at? Wait, where specific? Oh, yeah. I was probably around 205, 210 pounds. Oh, so you had some ass on you. Yeah. So I, well, I came, I joined the Marine Corps at about 150 pounds. And they uh, made me sleep all night uh, and eat three meals. And so the, by the time I got to the infantry, I was around 180 pounds. Yeah. And, uh, and then by the time I got to the Marine Corps, I was around uh, 210. Ooh, what was the post-selection or operational biggest fluctuation in weight? Go. Uh, almost always 21 pounds. Almost yep. always. Really? Like every time I went out, out to McCall, I, I lost 21 pounds. Okay. And I, I never had it to lose. <laughs> so it wasn't a single operation. But, so for me, we have, when I was uh, in the, in the uh, recon uh, pipeline, I did um, pre-dive. Mm. And then when I graduated, there was not, there was no seat in dive school. And they, they don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna hook you up. You're just gonna do pre dive again. So dive school will be twice Ooh, as easy. So then I did that. I did pre dive again, and then went uh, to dive school. And when I came back from di- dive school, uh, at that point I'd probably been swimming two thousand meters a day for you know almost five six months, and I, I was down to like 180 pounds um, at that point. And that would have been kind of late in my career where I was kind of running around at 210. I think level C seer. I went in at. Uh, 215 and came out 191. Uh, and, see, I, I've, and that's 19 days. I, I've been always <laughs> fortunate. So I did, I did SEER school in the, the, I did the Navy SEER school and the, uh, 
Um, yeah, you got the double whammy. Yep. Uh, every time though, I always find find something. So like I, I'm throwing food away the whole time. Oh, <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> Mine was I was hungry. I was hungry the whole time. No, I we we I uh, we found stuff constantly. I like we had you know like the half a possum that we yeah. were cooking up, and nobody oh, nice. nobody would eat it because it's disgusting. I was like, man. Ah, Your yeah. former group commander and I shared uh, a roadkill squirrel. No, nice. Yeah, well, squirrel. That's you ate a yeah. possum. Yeah. How was it? Um. Well, there's a reason it's not commercially available, um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's and you can you can get it down palatable. Okay. Yeah, I fluctuated 25 pounds winter strike Afghanistan. Uh, also, I was the stumble upon chow guy somewhere mm. in Ranger School. I can't remember where it is, but we like bed down, and it's definitely a period where they let you catch up on a little bit of sleep. Uh, it's also skit night when they make you build skits and wherever the fuck that was. I'm hanging out, and I'm I think I was taking a shit. And I wanted to build like a nice spot and not surface burst or whatever. And I move a rock and I find like four cans of peaches. Nice. Just randomly. This is awesome. Chow birds. Again, another ranger school thing. This very attractive person on a 60. And that's when I learned that 60, they had seats. Because coming from battalion and then I had already deployed and done things. Some and then, Black Hawk helicopters. Yeah, yeah Black Hawk okay. helicopters. Uh, there's seats in them and they're like, you have to buckle in. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? That's a thing. But chow bird full of burgers. There's a bag just full of burgers and Snickers bars. It was amazing. Other birds, they didn't get them. It was amazing. A lot of food. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I was hungry. I always come back. Uh, I guess also I have the, uh, I have the ability to, you know, eat things and make a billy goat puke. But uh, no, I, I think uh, yeah. I've always, I've been a big uh, outdoorsy hunty guy. So like, you know, even in Afghanistan, my whole team came back fairly skinny because they don't like goat meat. So right. you know, there's more goat meat for me. I came back huge. Yeah, <laughs> did, you eat, did you eat yogurt? I ate everything. Yeah. So, so you just eat stuff. I just eat stuff. Yeah. If it's not killing them, I, 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 can, I can hold it. Same. The only time it caught me off guard a little bit is we're doing a sit down with some like Afghanistan, some village leader, whatever. And they're, I'm starving. I'm absolutely starving. I got the goat meat in like kind of a oil based looking something. And then the flatbread. Right. And I'm, just my I Italian heritage came that's, out that's and I good was stuff. scooping and scooping. It goes around a couple of times and then it is solid as fuck. And I'm like, oh my God, that was terrible. I never got sick, but it was pretty awesome. I definitely got sick and you can read about it in Coffee or Die magazine. Oh, <laughs> oh you did? Yeah. yeah. You almost got shot with a dirty ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like having that's a, not how you an go. ANA soldier point his AK, level his AK at you all your pants around your ankles. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You never know what they're there for. Yeah. <laughs> what, what day of the week is it? <laughs> all right. So you make it through selection with confidence. Yep. You head off to the queue. You PCS to Fort Bragg. So, that's correct. And uh, uh, what so, MOS did they select you for? Um, so what did they... I, I've asked to be a Delta... And because I, I was, yep. I was like, <laughs> I was, uh, I was, you know, strong ranger my whole time in the Marine Corps. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to be a Delta and I'm going to be the, I'm going to get all this great education. And, and maybe when I finish being a Green Beret, I'm going I'm I'm to do other things. Well, I, I wrecked my motorcycle on the, the way to selection. Still getting in trouble. And, uh, yep. And, uh, um, what kind of motorcycle? That was a YZF1. So it was, yeah. you know, it was a little like, bit fast. There's Harley guys and there's street bike guys. I just I'm, want to do a little quick PSA real quick. That is such a common thing. Guys, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing any kind of in-doc selection, whatever, 
Just put the bike away. Yeah, but that's like put John Lopez. Away. He lost an arm. That's how Lopez lost his arm. Yeah, he yep. was going to selection. He was, and he lost his arm. Yeah, yeah. Well, wait, to, wait till you get your uh, your, your bray on your head, and then uh, then get your motorcycle. Yeah, then jack up your life and but, get three uh, divorces. Yeah, I, I hit a I t boned a truck doing about sixty, and uh, um, you know, but I intercostal tears and and uh, cracked ribs. Um, so I was in soft sea hold forever. So by the time I I got through selection. Um, I dumbed it down a little bit and, uh, started talking in grunts and, and moans and, and, uh, they are like, this guy's a former infantry Marine and he can't hardly talk. That is a Bravo. That is definitely that is a Bravo. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo is weapons. Weapon yep. sergeant. Yeah. And, uh, it's this. a, yeah. it cut about a, you know, a year and a half off my time in the Q course by, um, doing that. And, uh, it's, it's guns. I was like, this is a sure thing and this will be the fastest way for me to get, the hell out of this uh, school environment and get to a, a unit. What year was this? Uh, so this would have been 2009. Okay. Yeah. So where'd you go from there? Um, in the school or after? No, you, when you, you're done. Yeah, you're oh, done. So I'm, I'm done all done. And uh, I, I like, spoke Indonesian, which pretty much, you know, I don't need that in most places in Europe. So I ended up in first group um, <laughs> out in Washington. It is known as the Spanish of the Pacific. What is Indonesian? So everyone speaks Indonesian. Indonesian is a Asian language made up by white people. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the a, Dutch made it up, and it's well, it's got pieces of every language around it too. So, like when I go to Malaysia, I don't always know what they're saying, but they always know what I'm saying. Yeah, awesome. um, yeah. So it works. I get when I order food, I I mostly get what I I thought I was getting, which doesn't really matter because you'll eat anything. I'll eat anything, but it's nice to have you know a choice. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So you get to first group. Yep. Um, get to first group and I'm so excited because uh, I, at this point, this is the longest stretch of not deployed time I've ever had was the Q course. And it's, it's just this new foreign concept. Uh, my God, the army just wastes tons of time um, with you. I can't believe we're, they're training me this long. And uh, so I'm finally getting to a unit and I'm so excited and I get there and, you know, there's everybody's, you know, moving around getting ready for these deployments. And then I get sent to 4th Battalion, which doesn't actually exist yet. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, I go into the building. It's lightly manned because it's, it's only been, it's not even a thing yet. There's just a building. It's not even a battalion. And I'm kind of, you know, frustrated because I just, I left the Marine Corps to come over here for this, this high op tempo and to go, you know, do cool things in the, in the night on behalf of my country. And, and, uh, I get shown into an office and we don't even have chairs. Uh, so the, the reasons you left. Yeah. Are just compounded. In, in yeah. The Marines you're now facing at your first assignment. At, yep. in Special so Forces. we didn't, we didn't have guns. We had two computers and, uh, um, you know, my, we had a, we didn't have a full team. We had a, a you know, a warrant officer and, and one other guy. And he's like, well, we're, you know, we're both going to schools. Uh, you're, you're on your own. <laughs> Uh, you know, stay fit. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I stayed fit. You know, we have a great gym and trainers and I, I went and, and got fit. And, uh, that's, that was, that was my like first, you know, five, six months in, in SF was, uh, standing up a battalion. And, uh, when did yeah. that change for you? Um, so, you know, they, they told us it was going to be, I think, a two or three year time of just building a unit, yeah. which is literally, you know, what they told us about MARSOC, which is why I got out of the Marine Corps. And I've, you know, fallen into the same trap again. Um, 
But, uh, you know, the, the two front war was going. And so like that three year thing was right out the window. Um, I got there in 2010 and by 2012, we were, um, deep into our PMT, uh, to, to, to deploy to Afghanistan. So what does that mean? Do you- um, PM, so it's a, the pre-mission training okay. and it's where you, you come in and, and, uh, dot your eyes and T's and to learn to on. shoot, learn to patrol, um, make everybody on the team understand how to turn a radio on. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I think it's, it's just a thing the army started actually DOD started doing to make sure every unit had kind of some consistency to their training. Cause there was a, a huge variance early in the war where like some units were maneuvering on the battlefield and they really shouldn't have been, uh, doing that. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Yeah. So when did you get to deploy for the first time? 2013 was my first, my first trip as a, as a, so you were in group for three years before. Yeah. And which is, yeah. yeah, another story, you know, all the, yeah, Green Berets are like you know that I'm peers with. You know, they, some of them had two or three trips by the time I got my first one. Right, oh, shit. and so I'm, I'm uh, frustrated because I I came for the deployments, but I've just been you know hitting up neat schools right. uh, that they are not getting to go to. So yeah. you know there was some professional jealousy. Yeah. that I can't I couldn't rectify it. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Some of that was you know group specific. Like so, my first trip was oh three oh four. I came back. I was wearing DCUs with a with a combat medic badge, um, and I I showed up to first group uh, to take a, a buddy of mine from the Q course. We went to selection together a whole bit. He was in second battalion. Showed up to take him to lunch. I'm waiting outside the uh, the company area in uh, in segment. This is old second battalion, mm-hmm. and um, We're, I'm still over in old third battalion staring at it. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and. Guys are looking at me and, you know, I've got my long time and whatnot. It's not like they're looking at me like I'm out of place, but they're looking at me and they're looking at my combat patch and they're looking at my CMB and they're like, one guy goes, are you from fifth? I was like, no. Mm. He's like, third? I was like, no. I'm like, where are you at? I said, I'm 19th group. And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> literally said. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, yeah. I missed that whole, that whole period in first group where, you know, first group had, uh, had not didn't really have a big foot in the door for Iraq, obviously, and then and right. Afghanistan. Um, we we had the SODF down in the Philippines, which yeah. was uh, it was not it was not a kinetic thing, and yeah. and everybody was going to war except for us. Yeah. So there's a ton of the guys that were there. Me and my my seniors were like you know, highly frustrated, yeah. um, and just existing watching that war happen because it's not like it's not like it was a green brace. It's not like you can. Every three years, you can just get orders to a different unit. Yeah, like you're you're there for the long ride. So yeah, that's got to be maddening. Yeah, hundred percent. Because it happened to me later on. It's like football practice. Yeah. Never having a game. never having a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're in a, it's it's hard to keep guys motivated for that. Well, and there's the time and place thing. You know, you take a trip and then whoever rips out with you gets a fantastic trip well, and does a bunch of shit. And you're like, <sighs> and I think uh, you know a lot of the discussions I saw, like fifth group and third group, just getting beat to death with the war. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we, we have joint schools and then the first group guys would come in there, you know, so jealous to get in the war, but then you're telling stories about, you know, partying in, in, uh, in Bangkok and Manila and the, you know, the third group guys have never had a, yeah. a J set ever. They've just been going back and forth to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so they've never really done a trip that was not a life or death, uh, thing. Yeah. So it's a, I saw that throughout because I I graduated the Q in 03 and deployed almost immediately. But even even where I was in the guard, I saw the cultural differences between I mean there's always there's always been a cultural difference between the different groups. 
but it, that divide started getting harder and harder and harder as, as the GWAT progressed because we were leaning really heavy on a couple of groups just because that was their area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seventh and first were yeah. kind of the party groups at the time. Yeah. Just because of where they were responsible. So everybody wanted everyone else's mission. Yeah. 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 And then they, <laughs> until they got it. Yeah. But yeah. We, we, they balanced it out. Everybody figured out flying a guy from Kentucky is equally as difficult as flying a guy from, you know, Washington. Yep. So, so where was your first deployment to? Uh, my, my first deployment, um, and first, first group, my, my was, would have been, um, uh, Nepal it was the first thing I did as a, as a Green Beret went to Nepal. And then when was your first trip to Iraq or Afghanistan? It was, that was in 2013. Okay. So. Nepal's a cool country. Nepal. And I was like. That's one of my this, favorite J-sets. That's, uh, that was a neat J-set. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah I still remember being kind of a hard charger and, and, uh, they had a van for us to, to take us to the, it was a, um, Nepalese ranger camp. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not riding in that van. It's only like, it's like a two mile walk. I'm going to walk up there. I know exactly where you're talking about. Yeah. And I, yeah. So I walked down to the hotel lobby to get a cup of coffee and, uh, and my hands were shaking so bad from walking across the hotel lobby. I could not drink my coffee because the, the altitude difference. Bit of elevation. Yeah. So I was, <laughs> I had pretty much hit my cardio level by walking, uh, to the <laughs> hotel lobby. So That's I, crazy. you know, I got in the van, even though I didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. So where was your first trip to Afghanistan or Iraq? Um, to Afghanistan as a Green Beret. We were happy to get there. Yeah, because I all my trips in the Marine Corps were Iraq. Okay. So like you know, I'd, and I'd always, you know, you, the whole reason GWAT started was Afghanistan, and uh, and it was, seemed wilder and, and uh, um, you know, more austere. You always see the gunfights in the mountains, and uh, guys patrolling and in these like crazy valleys. And I wanted to be a part of that. And then I kept going to Iraq, and you know running over IEDs and, and, uh, shooting people from in the middle of villages. Uh, it was, you know, not, it was not what I kind of imagined as, as being like a warrior. It was, it was more so just did, driving did you around. Get what you in Afghanistan? I, I did. Yeah, yeah. So we, we got there. Um, and, uh, I didn't know any better, but I was I really wanted the commando mission cause I wanted to, you know, land the helicopter and jump out and, and shoot everybody that was bad. And, and, uh, instead I got, uh, a VSO site, which is a you know village stability thing, operations is where ODA would would live basically in a village, um, set up a police department that wasn't worse than the Taliban, um, and then just own that space and and uh, kind of keep that village at a low simmer. So that was the first mission I got, and then it was you know it's it's kind of when I imagine being a Green Beret, that's what we were doing. So. We'd work in the village all day, and then at night we'd we'd link up with our uh, um, our Afghan uh, special operations team and and go get in gunfights with them, or we'd go grab the Afghan local police and uh, you know drag them kicking and screaming into a, a, a gunfight. Um, and it was I was like, this is you know this is this is why people come here. That's awesome. Where where were you on that trip? Um, Miri in the Andar province. Andar, yeah. It sounds very strange. Big party Wars. town. Yeah. Yeah. And, and is that, segue that into uh, how you got this. Oh, well, so this I'm necklace. living out there with my team and yeah. I'm riding high. I have a, a great beard and awesome sniper rifle that's painted up just just perfect. Just being an SF dude. And uh, you know, pretty much anything I could come up with, we got to go do it. And it was, you know, it was the best. And then uh, 
2013. I don't know if you if you ever look at the war. We draw we drew down to leave mission success. We're getting the hell out of here. And uh, 2013 was one of those times. So they they closed our site, and I they offered me to stay in country uh, and work at the company headquarters, uh, or to go home early. Um, so I, I mean, that was an obvious choice. Even though I would not be on an ODA, I'd rather be in country than um, stateside. So at least something might happen. So I volunteered to uh, to work on the AOB as the weapon sergeant and went from you know the coolest bearded sniper on, uh, in the any mirror I owned uh, to you know filling ammo requests and fixing guns for our our, uh, our ring route convoys and not being a part of them, not even being able to get on a convoy to deliver the supplies to the ODAs that were still working was you know fairly frustrating. <clears throat> Um, but you know, I was in country, so I'm still hopeful that something's going to happen and, uh, and nothing, nothing really did. <laughs> and we did it. We had our change of command, um, and a, a new commander replaced our old commander while we were in country. And while we were rehearsing for the was change that, of command. Was that Jamie? Yeah. Yeah. Alden. Yeah. Jamie and I were in Robin Sage together. He just mentioned me th- that this morning. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, but he was leaving and, and, uh, we had a, a major caster was coming in. And we were rehearsing for this change of command, which was surprising, really, because Green Berets are notorious for being terrible at performing functions as uh, the army lines. Yep. Terrible. If you want to see some stuff, and I wasn't big on it in the Marine Corps, but man, I've seen some formations from like, good Lord, yeah. this would have been better if we just skipped this whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, we were rehearsing for it to get it right. And, uh, the, you know, the Taliban launched an attack on the on the FOB that, that we were on. And uh, they initiated with a, uh, you know, three to 4,000 pound uh, V-bid and uh, uh, blew a hole in, in the the wall of the camp. So y'all were having a change of... Yeah, so we... were having a ceremony, the attacks you during so the ceremony. The only reason... That is incredibly rude. <laughs> that is... It is very rude. Um, and Earl doesn't stand for rude behavior. I don't... No, I not. do not tolerate rude behavior. <laughs> uh, yeah, the only reason... One of the reasons, the, the primary reason I was able to uh, get down there so fast is we had just taken a, a company photo of everybody that was on the deployment. So, I, you know, of course I got dressed up and, and grabbed my, my big uh, sniper rifle so that the picture looks cool. And uh, I hadn't taken it back and put it up yet. So my stuff was still sitting in front of the, the uh, company operations center. Please tell me you were wearing your green beret. <laughs> I was not this. wearing my green beret. Cause, <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> I had a super cool, you know, uh, ops core helmet that I was really proud of that was, that was, uh, you know, great. You should see it in the picture. It looks amazing. <laughs> but uh, that's I got dressed so fast because my stuff was sitting up uh, from taking that picture. What was and the rifle? What were you taking? I was. I had a, a Mark Twenty. Okay. It's, it's a super neat rifle um, for patrolling Afghanistan. Worst rifle ever uh, to have taken to that particular event. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, if I had known that they were that close, yes, I would have taken anything else besides that thing. So they initiate, they blow a hole in the wall, uh, complete surprise attack. Everybody's yep. doing, you know, photo ops and, yeah. and handing out awards and, and whatnot, standing in Get, Yeah, we had gear. You know, everybody's getting accountability of the equipment so that the commander can, can do the, the incoming over. commander can sign for it. Yeah, yeah. so layouts and whatnot. Um, Total garrison attitude yep. right then. Yes. And then boom. And then, yeah, boom. Um, so I was actually hanging out in our med shed. Um, Harassing a kid that was getting IV because uh, he had diarrhea for a couple of days, and and I was you know messing with him while he was getting his needles put in him, and then we uh, we all got knocked down to the the floor. 
um, from an explosion. And at this point, <clears throat> you know, we'd been getting indirect fire uh, almost daily for about two or three weeks. Um, so we were pretty immune to it. Right. Um, and it wouldn't be bad. It would be a few rounds. Um, and most of the time, uh, especially for the, the Green Berets, we wouldn't even take cover. We just continue working. The big army base would sound the alarms and and uh, get in their bunkers and, and take accountability for two hours. And we would just you know finish whatever work we were doing. And our, our initial assumption was there was just to degrade the camp's ability to get work done because they knew that we had this big right. um, reaction every time a round landed. Um, but what they were doing was just conditioning the camp to always um, get to these bunkers. And... Um, so, you know, my, my original suspicion was that, the, that we just got hit, you know, directly by a, um, indirect fire. And, uh, but I, I come out of the med shed and, uh, I was going to, you know, tell everybody we're okay. Don't, don't be running over here freaking out. Cause I, I assume they all noticed that this building has been hit, but I walk out and everybody's under the same assumption that the building they're in is the one that has been hit. And, uh, and I, I turn and look and I just remember seeing this just gigantic mushroom cloud. Uh, billowing up into the sky. And uh, I was like, that is new. (laughs) 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 And, uh, you know, just kind of taking it in because it was actually, you know, just pretty surreal because, you know, I'm in an Afghan valley that there's these snowy mountains in the backdrop. And then now there's this, you know, nuclear mushroom cloud billowing up in the sky. And other than that, it's a pretty day, you know, it's a, you know, not a cloud in the sky and it's sunny, which is kind of neat. Uh, and, uh, and then I, I started putting together that there's literally nothing back there. There's not a vehicle checkpoint. There's no, um, there's no presence on that side of the camp. It's like, what the hell did they blow up? And then we started, um, hearing small arms fire pick up and, and, uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds like it's maybe a mess. Um, so I, wasn't for sure what was going on down there, but I, I knew that I was going to go be a part of it. Um, and, uh, you know, ran, jumped in my stuff and, and, uh, did you grab your whole kit at this point? Yeah. So I, like while I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm probably like 20 feet from my gear after, as this is taking place. So I run, jump, put it on and, uh, um, looking, I'm like, all right, how am I going to get down there? Still with your Mark 20. Still with my Mark 20. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I was, you know, everybody goes through phases in their career. This is what I call my sniper phase, where I was, <laughs> I was a super sniper, and the best thing that you would ever want was a was me because I'm a really good sniper. Just ask me. Um, way more annoying than almost any fighter pilot. Um, and, uh, and I got my gigantic sniper rifle, and our uh, one of our mechanics pulls up in this Toyota um, TRD, and uh, he was out getting getting our mail, I guess, and. Uh, as he was coming back to the camp, the 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 uh, Taliban had another base of fire on the other side of the camp, and they they shot him up a little bit when he was trying to get back uh, into the SF camp, and he was not excited about it. He took off and he left the keys in it, and the engine was running. So I was like, "Well, there's that's how we're getting there." And uh, as I'm running over, I bump into uh, another buddy of mine, Nate Abkemeyer, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I remember him like I'm driving," and I was like, "Cool, you drive. I don't want to drive anyway. So I'm a sniper. I need to snipe things." <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sniper. I'm not a driver. Yeah, so like he, a cop to you or something. He gets yeah. in there, and then we start to pull out, and we, you know, almost run over um, another buddy of mine, Drew, and he's on a four wheeler. And I just remember yelling, "I was like, get in with us! You're going to get shot to pieces on that stupid four wheeler." So he, you know, runs and jumps in the back with us, and we um, pull through the 
pull through the gate. And, uh, you know, as the weapon sergeant, you know, I make the base security plan for the AOB and I'm supposed to implement it. So I, I kind of have a moment where I'm like, mm, should I, I should stay here and run this. But uh, um, there's nobody there because everybody's at the damn change of command. And, uh, you know, I had... Uh, there's nobody a, direct. Our operations sergeant's there and he's like, I got this, you know, Nick Umble. He sounds like he's gargling gravel all the time. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to lock this gate. So you guys pull through. I'm going to lock this gate up and do my one part toward, you know... Um, base security and keeping the keeping the bad guys out yeah. of here. So I go and the and the gate actually got um kind of put out of whack by the blast. So I'm kind of fighting with it. And I get out there and, and the hotel has noticed the Toyota and has taken it under fire. So those guys were, you know, that ready. was their base they of were, fire was the hotel. It was uh so well it they had a or a base of fire. It was a base of fire. Yeah. There was there was actually three V bids that were supposed to attack the camp that day. Um so I, I think the the, the um, part of the story I'm about to tell, I think, was a a part of it, maybe a distraction, um, but the main part never happened. And then, so they had all these fighters with heavy weapons in the hotel uh, attacking the opposite side of the of the camp from where this blast has occurred. Um, and the only thing they can really see moving is this black Toyota. Um, so when I, you know, finally get the gate shut and, and climb over, everybody's, you know, get in here because let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> Because they were shooting at the truck, and uh, so we haul ass out of there and head toward the the blast. And at, we get about you know halfway there, and and our uh, our motor pool is is uh, coming up, and we're it's just getting hammered with uh, rockets, with mortar rounds, and uh, you can see good long bursts of PKM fire just you know racketing through there. And we're like, uh, maybe maybe we should go check on these guys. And we look in though, and they're. You know, they're all doing their thing. They're manning their towers and people are pointing and running. And, uh, um, we're like, man, they, that seems like it's mostly right. Um, so we push down and then link up with, uh, um, our uh, company warrant and then a medic from another ODA and they're on a four wheeler. And, uh, you know, they're giving us a thumbs up, you know, you guys going down there? We're like, yeah, we're going down there. Let's, let's get after it. And, uh, you know, we, so we drive down this little, dirt road and we get kind of almost to the airfield which is uh, on the far side of this airfield is where the blast has occurred and we're kind of crossing the le- the main road that has access to it and it's the last kind of covered and concealed area so I tell the driver to slow down because I'm a sniper so I'm going to get up on top of this uh, wall or this tower I'm looking for a good spot and I'm going to um, like cover this um, airfield and I can see um they have another base of fire that's over this breach. I can kind of see them. I'm like, I'll, I'm going to get me a good spot. And then uh, uh, the guys on the four-wheeler pull past us just a little bit and then instantly just get hammered by a massive amount of, of a small arms fire. And uh, I can see them, you know, getting shot up and I can see them getting hit. And, uh, and I remember, you know, turning to Nate. I was like, hey, you know, pull this truck in between them and we'll, we'll climb out on, on my side. And we'll drag them back because, like, you know, we could see them all getting hit and going down. Were they were they injured at this point? Yeah. yeah. So th- as they pulled past us, um, they they all caught a few rounds. Um, the driver of the, the four wheeler, you know, got shot in the forehead, um, and his helmet stopped it for some reason. Mm. Um, yeah, it was that? Wow. Yeah, the ops corps makes a hell of a helmet. Yeah. Um, and the and but as he fell off the he fell off the four wheeler from that he got shot in the legs, and then the. Uh, 
um, guy on the back, which was, you know, Chief Colbert. Uh, and he tells it different. Uh, he likes to say he got shot um, in the upper thigh, but I was there. He got shot through the ass real bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I didn't actually see where, that he got shot in the ass. I just saw, you know, he arced out and hit the ground and I, I thought he was dead. Um, but we're going to, you know, we're going to pull in and uh, let this small arms fire absor- get absorbed into the truck, climb out on the other side, just like we were taught and rehearsed. And we all know what we're about to do. And uh, I, I kicked my door open. And I got my my sniper rifle and I'm ready. And I kind of turn it so the buttstock's facing out of the door because it's, it's a, you know it's a large rifle and a, a Toyota's a nice truck, but the the it's not made to hold a sniper rifle. Anyway, we we start that turn and we pull right in the middle of basically their rally point for after they have um, sprinted through the breach. Um, they're wearing you know Afghan uniforms which kind of threw me off for a minute. And I was like, well, perfect. I'm a Green Beret and a train advice assist. That's what would I do? I'm going to get these guys rounded up. And then now I'm really going to make a difference because I've got, you know, a squad of Afghans. And anyway, you know, all that's flashing through my head and they all turn, look at me and just start shooting the shit out of us. <laughs> and because that they are, they're not Afghan army. They were, uh, you know, <laughs> they were Haqqani fighters. What, what were they wearing? Woodland? Yeah, they're wearing Woodland. Yeah. And they, they'd, uh, and they had plate carriers and it was actually done pretty well yeah uh, their uniforms looked right they just uh i think the main thing is they all had uh new tennis shoes on and i just remember think i've never seen a new set of shoes in this damn country i don't think most people unfamiliar with afghanistan or even people that are familiar with like early days can ever have really any kind of imagination for that because they just think like dudes in in turbans or pickles yeah in in the hills firing an ak they got from their grandpa well and that's you know that's what they usually do look like. And, yeah. the, and these guys had, you know, brand new uniforms. They weren't dirty. And like the new shoes thing, I, that, that kind of sticks out in my head. You know, I was like, remarkable, yeah. I, yeah. Haven't, I haven't seen a new pair of shoes ever right. here. And why aren't they wearing boots? And uh, what color were they? They were white. Yeah. It's exactly what I was picturing. Yep. I yep. Yeah. Had to, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, like a clean white shoe. Yeah. Like Reebok Runwalt. Yeah. There's a, there was <laughs> a specific brand <laughs> yeah. that they what, used to pick up in Pakistan. I can't remember what it was. It, they're like the, uh, the Adidas knockoff. Yeah, it was the like Nike Adidas, uh, Adidas, or something like that, or, or LT Gray. I don't know. It was yeah. something crazy. It was something weird. So, which which is <laughs> exciting, because um, you know they're they're you know like you know ten twelve meters from us, and they're they're shooting in here into the truck, um, and my rifle's backwards at this point. And that's you know this is every combat story. You always think there's going to be dramatic music playing and in the slow mo. For for me, all my cool combat stories, I trip on something or, you know, it, so this is like Benny Hill music is playing. <laughs> <laughs> so my rifle's, you know, the wrong way around and they're shooting at us like super close. And I, and the whole time I was like, I, I think they got, I think they got oral. Uh, but I, I got my rifle turned around and uh, just kind of push it out in front of me and I fire one round and the damn rifle jammed, which is like the only time I've even seen a scar jam ever, but it was that day. And I, I think I just, uh, when I pressed it out, I think I, I put the charging handle against the, 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 the ambidextrous charging yep. handle. Yep. And it induced a, uh, a, a very Slow complex bike. malfunction. So yeah. I had like a, a, a double feed with a, oh. a 762 gun. This, like it is, it's a mess. Yeah. And then, you know, I just remember being heartbroken. I'm like, damn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is, dang it. I want to die here with a jammed rifle sitting. I just remember not wanting to die sitting in that 
sitting down on, on that seat, you know? Um, but I, I've been, you know, just been beat to death by two different, um, organizations and that rifle goes down, you know, that pistol comes out and, uh, you know, as soon as that thing jammed, I, I transitioned my pistol and I just, uh, um, you know, leapt out of that truck and I, I was like, I'll probably get one of them. And the best thing I can do is create space for, uh, for Nate and Drew and then they'll, they'll get them. It's like, all I gotta do is buy those guys enough time to, to get out of that truck and, and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll be able to fix this. Um, but, but I'm a goner for sure. Uh, cause I just remember like walking toward this guy, I remember his, his rifle going off and I could, I could see the, the, uh, muzzle flash. Um, I could see the brass flying out of his gun. And, uh, you know, at this point he's under 10 meters from me. Like, I'm like, I'm just assuming I'm getting hit. And I was like, I just can't feel it. And, uh, anyway, you know, pulled that pistol out and closed the distance with those guys. And, uh, I fired two rounds and this guy dropped like, uh, they, like the marionette strings had been cut, which I was like, you know, you always hear these terrible stories, the nine mil just not having stopping power. Um, but, uh, you know, he's, he met all my, my training. Like if he's got a vest on and you have a pistol, you can shoot him in the face or you can shoot him in the, the pelvic girdle. So I, I, I fired two rounds into his pelvic girdle and he was just, just dropped him instantly. Like so fast it caught me off guard. That's a lot of presence of mind, man. I don't know that I would have had the, I don't know I, I would have had the, I don't think it was pre- presence of mind. It was a switch. And that, so that, that decision had been made mm-hmm. on a, a flat range, you know, two years prior that that yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, you know, so I, and then, you know, I transitioned to my next target and then, uh, just continued to move to cover. And, uh, I would just transition through all those guys. And, uh, I think when I hit them, they all knew that I didn't know this at this point, but I think they all knew they had suicide vests on and, and, uh, they definitely didn't want to be near anybody getting shot. Cause I remember, um, when I got to, I was like, why did that work? <laughs> why did those guys just run off? Cause you know, there's, there's a, probably like five or six of them that I, that I rushed. And I was like, how did they not, um, you know, kill me or like, cause at this point, if they had just had sticks and, and ran over to me and, and, and hit me with them, they'd have probably won. Um, but I, you know, I think they, they're like, oh shit, that guy's hit. Let's get, a, let's get away from him before his vest detonates. Before he blows up. But yeah. I haven't figured that part out yet. I'm just impressed that I got to cover <clears throat> or, uh, concealment because it, it was not cover. It was concealment. It's an empty water tank, which is notorious for not stopping bullets. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm, and so I'm behind this plastic tank and, uh, I, you know, I'm, uh, I got my pistol and I'm like, mm, I don't know how many rounds are left in this thing. And my rifle is, is, uh, I look down I can see a big mangled piece of brass jammed underneath a round that's in there. And I'm like, how did, how am I going to fix that? Um, so I was like, I need just a little bit more time. And I could hear the guys behind me, you know, screaming for a medic, uh, chief's hit. Uh, Matt's hit, everybody's hit. And I was like, okay, well, I can't go back there. Um, I, I have a hand grenade though. I'm going to pull this hand grenade out and I'm just going to throw it in between us. And I, you know, I think everybody should be smart enough not to, uh, walk toward a hand grenade. Um, so I pull, you know, pull the hand grenade out and I just kind of throw it blindly around the, um, water tank. And then, but as I start my throw, I see the, the first guy I hit, he's still laying there and he's, uh, um, he's not dead and he's, he's, uh, still on his gun. He, and he, you know, he just couldn't, 
guy, he couldn't walk anymore. So he's just kind of laying there behind his gun. So as soon as I pop my head out, he looks up as that grenade goes and the grenade just sticks, uh, right under his, his, uh, left hip oh. in between the ground and him, and him just sticks, which is like a super lucky throw. Cause I didn't even know he was there. Um, and I, I just remember looking at him in his eyes and he was like so pissed off yeah. <laughs> that I had had done that. And he didn't even try to roll off the grenade. He didn't even like swipe at it. He just, uh, he stayed on his sights and then tracked me back behind that water tank. And I just, I pulled back behind that tank and, uh, you know, locked my bolt to the rear, stripped the magazine out, clawed all that crap out of there and, uh, put a fresh mag in and sent the bolt home. And then the grenade detonated and, you know, only, Guys that have like really lived on the range will get the. That's fast. That's fast, right? I'm like, that's malfunction. Nobody cares except for me, but I'm like, I cleared a complex malfunction in three to five seconds. I'm the perfect guy to talk to because this is like my baby. We need to do malfunction. You've you've done this. Yeah. I'm (laughs) extremely impressed right now. (laughs) And uh, so I was like, did you guys see? I clicked, nobody's there to see that. I, this I, is the guy that taught yeah. me how to fix a bolt override. So, yeah. And I'm like, you guys, that's especially with the scar heavy. Uh, yeah, for sure. Cause it's like a, it's a beast, you know? And I'm like, that was, it's working perfectly right now. And no, he went from, I'm going to die to like, Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm going to die and no one got to see how awesome I really just... Oh my yes. gosh. I can't imagine the moment of my gun was down, everything's fucked, to I just cleared it, bolt just went home, let's do some shit. And then, uh, but I was, you know, my, my moment of jubilation was uh, interrupted because mm. I started hearing a, a snap thump and then like dirt. Uh, and my biggest perception is I just remember, I hate sand. I've hated sand ever since I decided to be a force recon Marine. Mm. And, uh, Anyway, I just remember sand running down the back of my shirt and it's just a, such an uncomfortable feeling. And even in that like amped up thing, I was like, that is so annoying. That's going to annoy me all day, maybe. Um, and, uh, it's going to get down to the ass crack. Yeah. You know, it, whole, it goes everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. a good problem. And, and it sound like a, you know, Anakin bitching about it, but it's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal. And, uh, so I look and, uh, there's a, there's another fighter. He's like a hundred meters out and he's in a prone supported position and he's just like, you know, slow aim fire and he's almost hitting me in the head, but he's, he's, he's like off by like, you know, you know, four or five inches. So it's not hitting me in the head. It's hitting the that's damn. Where the sand was coming from. That's where the sand was coming. It's hitting the wall behind me and I'm like tucked up against the wall. So all the sand is like running down the, um, my back and I look and you know, I'm staring down, which, you know, hundred meters, not incredibly far. And I can't, I have no idea. Whoever taught them their zero must have worked for us because there's like, there's no way. Even with a potato gun, I'm going to miss a hundred meter shot. Um, but this guy, you know, missed like eight of them. Um, so I, and I was like, hundred meters. I'm that's my that is my zero. I'm going to hold center and send it. So I, I'm uh, in a kneeling position. I I pull my uh, Mark twenty up and I fire one round at at uh, and I remember holding at the notch of his neck. And uh, man, right when I break the round, the guy just vaporizes off off the planet, goner. And uh, we were, I was hoping we would have another jam. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I was getting nervous. Over I was here. like, yeah. unbelievable. We're going to uh, head over to the FN booth and have a talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a problem with nerding out. So, what was your optics package? Um, I had the, at that point, the, the Mark 20 had a Night Force on it with a, like a 5 by 15, I believe, yeah. which I remember like, like this is the worst scope. Back. This Dial is back. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that, this is like the only time I looked through the scope for the, the, the whole day. And, uh, um, and which, you know, well, so the, I went and confirmed my zero the next day and it was still dead on. 
and I, you know, I threw that gun over a wall when I ran out of ammo. So I was for sure that that would have ruined it, but it didn't. (laughs) Um, but anyways, you know, I, this guy, like, you know, it's just gone. Like the round hit him and I, so there was Polish tanks maneuvering, um, back and forth. So I was like, ah, somebody figured out that they're on base. So I, I thought maybe a tank had fired. So I started looking around and no, nobody, there's no, there's not one. And, uh, and then I was like, yeah, I just shot a suicide bomber in the vest and it detonated. Awesome. That, <laughs> Which I've been on my to-do list. Bucket <laughs> uh, list. The entire, the yeah, entire GWAT, that's where, you know, I want, I want to get that that's done. That's a Hollywood that is, moment. Yeah, that's right. Like something, you phenomenal. Know, that never happens. No. That's why when it does happen, everybody talks about it. Right. And I was like, so I just nailed it. Not only am I a super cool sniper, I just saw a su- uh, shot a suicide bomber with my sniper rifle and his vest detonated. Nailed it. it it's um, the best of all things. Yep. All at once. And uh, so then I'm like, mm, I wonder I wonder if he's the only one with a suicide vest on or if there's more. I hope he's the only one because the rest of these guys are like tucked into these containers and there's no way that I'm going to get to shoot them from anything other than, uh, you know, 10, 20 feet. Um, and I, so I'm like, do I stay out here in the open? Because then that base of fire is still out there and, and they're kind of shooting back and forth. And I was like, well, I got these, got them right here, the little... What I don't want is I don't want to let up on them because I don't want them to maneuver. So I was like, everybody's coming. I just threw a hand grenade. I got this scar heavy out. All my guys are right behind me. They're going to be here any minute. So, so I went forward. And uh, so I you know, went down to where I saw them run off. I get about halfway there. And uh, everybody hangs muzzles from behind the cover they were using. And they just start you know, lighting me up again. And uh, um, I came down, uh, you know, and I remember just indexing uh, turret caps, mm-hmm. and I'd break you know, two or three rounds because it's not the best way to shoot a, a target. And and uh, <clears throat> I'm giving everybody a little bit of love, and then you know I run out of ammo again. Actually, we should so indexing turret caps basically means that you're trying to use a long gun with uh, makeshift iron sights, essentially yep. because of the close proximity. And I, you know we, you know, and everybody that, that I'd ever done a training package with, they're like, hey, just in case something stupid happens, here's what you can do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's, you know, that's what I, that's what I ended up doing. Um, which it, it worked, you know, I, I didn't, I don't know that I got a lot of hits, but, um, I was definitely able to, um, tuck them back behind cover. Um, plus I had a break on my gun. So it, it sounded like a flashbang going off every time I, I broke around. Um, good. Scary. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I'm thumping away with this thing. Anyway, I mean, it goes dry again. And I'm like, okay. Um, I th- I never reloaded my pistol. Um, so I was like, "There's only like a few rounds in that thing. I'm not transitioning. I'm gonna I'm gonna speed reload. That's the right choice to make." And uh, so I I dump my mag and I horse this you know monstrous rifle up vertical because um, I'm not you know, quite strong enough to just hold that thing uh, for a, a speed reload. That's a heavy ass gun. Yep. And uh, as soon as I dump the mag and, and super elevate the muzzle. Uh, the nearest fighter to me just slings his rifle and, you know, just movie script stuff, screams out like bar and just starts sprinting, uh, to cover the distance. And, uh, I'm like, uh, okay, shit. Like nobody does. That's definitely just def, this guy's best, definitely going to tackle me and detonate a suicide vest. Why would he put his gun down? So I finished my speed reload and, and he's about from, from me to you. And I just drop the gun and, and just hammer him with, uh, you know, three to five rounds and, uh, and his vest detonates. 
except for the, you know, this one hurts because it's, it's like super close. So that just ricochets me off the Hesco wall. <clears throat> and, uh, um, I don't think I got knocked out, but I, I definitely got, you know, TKO'd a little bit. And I remember, um, I, I hear, you know, I kind of opened in my eyes and, uh, hearing rifle, hearing, a, you know, hearing that whack thump again. And then the, that, you know, that, that real big heavy gravel that they make every fob with, it's yeah. like really hurts your flip-flops. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm like laying in. And I remember the rocks are like exploding in, in front of my legs. I'm kind of sitting there, uh, cock, when my legs cocked out and then the, the rifles kind of jammed into the ground, uh, pinning my right arm against the Hesco wall. And I look up and there's another guy walking down on me and he's just, um, he's staring, he's making solid eye contact with me, staring over the, over his sights. So he's hitting, he's hitting low. So the the rounds are landing in between my legs instead of hitting me. And, 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 uh, I remember he's just staring right at my face as he's like cracking those rounds. So I just kind of arched my back out and ripped that gun up and, uh, and hammered him with a, a good solid amount of rounds. And he just, you know, wilted, wilted under that. And I got back to my feet and, uh, get taken under fire from, from guys behind him. And I start to, um, you know, use the remainder of that magazine as a, uh, um, big fuel container for the, uh, the UAV compound detonates. And then, so there's this huge fireball, there's smoke everywhere and my gun's empty again. And, uh, I decide I'm not going to do a speed reload just see if I'm faster than the next guy that, that tries to do that. <clears throat> and also, where the hell is everybody? Because I've just, you know, I've just run through two mags out of this scar. This guy's, there's a hand grenade. This suicide vest keep blowing up. Like, no way everybody's missing this. Where the hell are they at? You get a 20-round box magazine. Yeah. yeah. And you're carrying, what, five? Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, I, so I run back down to the corner to see where, the, where everybody's at and uh, crash into to Drew and... Uh, because he was in the back seat, so all the rounds that came through my um, door frame hit everybody else in the truck, which is what slowed him down. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there. Uh, <clears throat> you know, my I was telling you, know, my mom prayed for me. That's why I missed those. And I remember Nate, who uh, he got hit in the cat tourniquet. He had it up on his collar, so a round hit that, and then karate chopped him in the neck with it. Hmm. And uh, he was like, "You tell your mom that you know, no more by name." Uh, request for the prayer. You can pray for everybody or nobody because this <laughs> yeah. is this is ridiculous. concern prayer. Did you call back that day and have somebody buy you a lottery ticket? Because I feel like things were in your favor in a lot of terrible, a lot terrible <laughs> situations. Yeah. So uh, you know, and I, I was like, when we went back and looked at it, there was like three hundred rounds that they they fired at me, Jesus. mostly within ten to fifteen meters. Yeah. And so when you know, like. Even a you know a blind guy could have should have got a hit on me. And yeah, uh, probability would dictate like one or two. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big thing is I I never stopped moving because um, that's you know I was I was a recent Sephardic grad when I was there. So if you're not if you're not behind cover, you know you create cover with your muzzle and then you 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 know eliminate the threat or you move to cover, but you don't you don't do uh, middle ground there. So I mm-hmm. I think by me always shooting and moving. They they were they just weren't good enough to get that hit, um, and uh, and I was. That's yeah. essentially Sparks are kind of like our our varsity level CQB school. Okay. 
I mean, you, there's so many things in this story yeah. that are awesome <laughs> to me. Like, I'm the malfunctions guy. I'm the transition guy. I wanted to know, did you gas your pistol up? Are you carrying the So, the, the reason I never reloaded my pistol mm-hmm. is I was, uh, I had a, I have a purse because I'm a sniper. And I have a combat purse that's got my ballistic calculator and my binos yeah. and all my, you know, my, my little Cobra hood. I have everything I need and all my extra mags. To do awesome sniper things. Yep. Yeah. I'm an awesome sniper. And uh, I keep it in that because I'm, I'm mostly doing like manual labor. So I'm concealed carrying with no extra magazines on my mm, on gotcha. my uh, person. And uh, was this M9 or Glock 19 days? Glock 19. Okay. Glock, yeah. yeah. I mm, not. Yep. No. Man. Yeah. I just didn't picture the M9 standing up to. No. That, yeah. I didn't, uh, not. Close quarters immediate action. <laughs> be that weird. Did you hear about that Green Beret that got killed? Yeah. He transcended his pistol and his locking block was broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. It's a common sad thing. story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, um, you're you're the only person that I know in combat that's transitioned to their pistol and taken lives and done the job. I've never heard of it. I ask that question a lot because, like, it seems like most of, like, in the early days of the GWAT, most of the civilian shooting courses, which I did a couple up at, uh, at Moyak at Blackwater, mm-hmm. it's all super pistol heavy. Like, everything's pistol, pistol, pistol for guys not in the military. And it's like... You, you know, and then you start doing some AR stuff and you learn transition drills. And I've always asked guys like, hey, man, like... Have you ever transitioned? Have you ever used your pistol? And the, the only guys that ever say they use their pistol, just guys I've talked to, is um, uh, CJ Duggan, who's a CAG guy. He said, yeah, sometimes I'd go over a wall in Iraq with mm-hmm. lean with my pistol. Yep. And then some guys would tell stories about, like, there's apparently... Um, in Iraq, there's buildings with courtyards and all that stuff, and just an AR is just a little too big. It's a little bit easier to... Well, to a long gun. Yeah. To, yep. yeah. yeah. Well, so, yeah, it's, it's, I've always wondered... I've always been fascinated by that, like... So, Earl came trains, into... He, you came into group at a time where that was that was an emphasis, because pre-GWAT, I mean, I went through the queue. 9-11 happened while I was in the queue. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, like, pre, pre-GWAT, there were specialized... DA teams that were wearing like Nomex suits and yeah. 511 vests. And it was, it was pretty, it was antiquated CQB because it had never been tested, honestly. And it was just handed down from range 37 and, and above that. And it was just kind of a trickle down effect. And it still is to that point, but it has advanced so much. Like I remember a friend of mine from Second Ranger Battalion made it through, um, CAG selection, and he was hitting me up for some pistol lessons before he went off to OTC because he mm. was really worried he wasn't going to be good enough. He wasn't going to make it, and he had plenty of combat deployments with with Ranger Battalion. I mean, really? I've talked to well Ranger Battalion. I, I they was didn't carry pistols then, yeah. Nope, there's yeah. zero pistols, and the only reason I had one is I was doing sniper stuff right. with my SR25 yeah. in Iraq, and I was like, I should probably bring this thing. Yeah. I used it as a tool for you know when I don't want to sling the you know SR25 around or whatnot. I take it out, but the fact that you actually got to literally mm-hmm. execute textbook so many things from malfunction to shoot, move, communicate. No, I, or, I when I look, I did every CT, which is a, a critical task evaluation. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And I did all of them like back to back to back continuously. Uh, and you know, I don't agree with all of them, or I didn't at that point. And I was like, well, I can't, you know, I guess so. <laughs> but here's the question. Did you look cool when you transitioned? I looked amazing. Really? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Because that's like what's what the rule is no, don't I get lost and always one. look cool. Yeah. No, I look like a train wreck. So my my rifle was jammed and I didn't have my sling on, right? So when uh, I transitioned yep. to, and I still had this stupid scar, I pulled the pistol and then I as I pulled the rifle across my chest, and so I was like, I'm gonna need my rifle eventually. So I just grabbed the buttstock and drug it out 
So when I was, when you see me in your mind running, all cool looking, I have, I'm dragging my rifle with the muzzle in the dirt um, as I'm uh, moving toward the enemy. So no, I didn't look cool. I looked wait, awful. Wait, this is, stop, <laughs> hold everything. You're shooting the pistol one-handed. Yeah. While running. Serious. And dragging, and, and dragging my, like a little yeah. child dragging its blanket through the hallway uh-huh. in the morning. That would be uh, <laughs> probably an <laughs> description. Are you wearing peltors? Uh, no, I had silence in. Okay, silence. So, yeah. But you did have like some here. And, uh, thank God. So I turned my radio on in the truck, and I was like, nobody's going to be on the net, but eventually they will. And I'm going to tell them, you know, I'm going to call down like uh, God from the Navy SEALs, and I'm going to I'm going to tell them everything that's going on and and Sector describe secure. to them what's going on because yeah. I am a, I was a super sniper. So I, anyway, the I put that in because I knew, I was like somebody will pop up on the net eventually once once they uh, get spun up and. Uh, I was like, but do I really, what if they call me and tell me to come back? Cause I'm, that'll be annoying. So yeah. maybe <laughs> I won't. You're going to be out there on your own, just like, just wreaking havoc. Like snipers do. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> thousands of, thousands of confirmed kills in that afternoon. Right. Uh, yeah. But you know, that's, so I, I just, eventually, cause I knew I was going to get better essay on what's going on. Eventually somebody would come up on the net. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when we're driving down the street, I put those, put my, uh, my Silinx, uh earbuds in and thank God or I'd be, you yeah. know, I would I would be the deafest person on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, it it really rattles you. You know, when you crack off around because you don't have your ear pro in, and all of a sudden you're in yep. a tick. You're still recovering from that ringing just from that first round. It's a real bitch. Yeah, yeah. So that was did, did your training? Did like I always ask? Like, did the notes you study for the test match the test? Like oh, the training. Almost, I mean that it was like they uh, were sent there to validate my training. Really. And had it scripted. Um, I feel like there's more to it. We got we got to have you finish the whole thing. I think the only thing that I haven't heard that I'm absolutely like amazed and impressed with all of it, the El Prez. Did anybody happen to stand exactly like? <laughs> <laughs> so no. So if you, I'm kind of I'm kind of blazing over it. But when they're they're behind cover, and uh, they're they're so close. But I I was doing the El Prez um, on around three to five targets every time I made an. An okay. engagement. No yeah. press is what? That's three, so, five, seven, uh, or something like that, or uh, so it's it's three evenly spaced targets. It's, it's okay. uh, what thirty inches from shoulder mm-hmm. to shoulder, and you run. Uh, usually, it's you know, like two, two, two across the board, or you know, and then back with a reload on the other. End. It's a training evolution. But we always joke, and the way I quantified for the students, like, why the fuck am I doing L-Prez? Like, no one's ever going to present like this. I said you have to change the narrative, and it, again, training shit. Um, to me, it's the same target moving. And I'm re-indexing my sights yep. as I'm moving across. So that's how I always, you know, taught it or kind of built a little confidence in the drill that was really about tracking your sights and yeah, it is, moving it is, your weapon. Yeah, it's just about um, a keeping your keeping your um, peripheral vision mm-hmm. um, open. Absolutely, so, you know, something a lot of guys will get in a gunfight and they they shrink down around the gun. El Prez will definitely get you out of your sights, 100, um, yeah. percent because you you can't see. And I've actually, you know been in a gunfight and you know i transitioned the, the bad guys ran out of the house and ran off to our right flank and then so i turned and everybody's really impressed that i saw them like how'd you see those guys like they ran out of the building you were shooting at like <laughs> we all saw them and it's just uh when guys get amped up you know that stress like they were down and they all they remember from that gunfight is the one window they were shooting in mm-hmm. yep. so they didn't see Everybody run out the back of the building. Very common. CQB, even on the, you know, open range and firefights, everything. And 
it's almost like the, not almost, it is some sort of, there's some sort of bro science in there, but your cones and rods in your eye, as soon as you bring things into your line of sight, like a aim point or even your irons, you get very drawn into that. And that's all you can see. So in order to like, like a low ready, the function of a low ready, again, in my mind is that it's out of your eye so that you can have that periphery and kind of view more. Because as soon as it comes up, you get dialed into it um, on top of all the stress. Yeah. You know, that happens with it's not confined to to shooting. No, that's a thing in, in medicine as well. Yeah. With emergency medicine, trauma medicine, tactical medicine, you get tar- target fixated on. That's a big bleed. Might not be a big bleed. One in the armpit might kill. Yeah. So it's like the guy in the was it Fourteen Peaks or the Ascent or whatever it is, and he's like, when you think you're fucked, you're only forty five percent actually fucked. Right. Yeah, okay. It's actually more like that video where you're trying to count something and the gorilla walks through it. Right. And yeah. yeah. Sees the gorilla. Great video. Yeah. Yep. I think that that actually describes it the mo- most accurately. Yep. And you can always uh I I can feel through this story when I tell it, I can tell um what, you know physiologically what's going on cuz um when I'm doing good, I have vivid memory of um you know left and rights, what was behind my uh my targets and then um you know down to when I, when I ran out of ammunition and that, that thing's detonating and I was kind of getting my ass handed to me a little bit. At, at one point, I remember the backs of the brass coming out of my rifle. I have zero uh, recall for what's past the end of my muzzle. Very interesting. And I was just, you know, that's my, my brain was like, we are in deep shit here. I'm going to get rid of some of this information for you. Yeah. Um, which to my detriment, I don't, I don't need to see the, the back of the brass coming out of my gun, but that's what my mind focused in on. Mm. And I, I, I remember that very vividly. This, like, I have no idea what was past my gun or does, what I was shooting at. <laughs> the smell shut off in those situations? Um, no, actually. So the, the first thing to go, I remember the, the entire battle being fairly quiet. So it's, it's called auditory exclusion. So mm-hmm. I remember um, that, like, I, I, when I remember, I, I have smell. Uh, I can smell my gun. I, I remember the, the grenade smell, the comp B. Mm-hmm. When I walked through where that grenade had detonated, I still remember that smell and uh, burning diesel. The, the biggest thing I remember was burning diesel because um, that that container, I guess, was full of JP8. And I think everybody reacts differently. So I'm also an auditory exclusion guy. Like when I, my stress level goes up and I have to focus, I I stop talking. And with when I'm with a team, I have to make a concerted effort to like take information, be concise, and make sure that I deliver it. I have to make myself do it. Other people are different. The, the fact that you remember the specificity of all these events. Now, I know that that goes up, or it has for me in the past, but some people, it's like a car accident. They don't remember portions or things or how did I get from point A to point B. There's there's big parts that get excluded. I say the stupidest shit and trip over my words <laughs> in immediate action. It's like me every day. Yeah. I'm like yelling contact front when it's off to the right just because it's... I said something, though. Yeah. Uh, getting blown up and I'm just, just a string of shit, fuck, 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 shit, shit. And then I remember I'm the medic and ask if everybody's okay. <laughs> okay, so continue. Yeah. Right, we're, we're, we're in the truck, we? we're transitioning. Uh, yeah. truck. So I'm, go- I'm going back toward the, and the no truck's not there. So, because oh. uh, when I jumped out, they did a, they did a, a reverse 180 and uh, uh, crashed into something. Uh, and, you know, I, and then so this answers some of my mystery, like where the hell everybody was at. Well, everybody was shot. Um, and then one of the round, one of the rounds came through and hit the child box. <laughs> On the uh, the Toyota, so there was like super weird. Like it came through my the came through the frame of my door and went, and then that didn't even destroy the latch. Just clicked it down so that (laughs) Drew was in the back 
just, you know, ripping on these handles and the, the doors were all locked. And, uh, so he, he jumped out and, uh, had been frantically looking for me, uh, apparently. And, uh, anyway, so when I came running back around the corner, he had been running from where the truck, um, had hit the wall and, and we, you know, crashed into each other. And, uh, Drew also brought the, you know, worst gun ever. Uh, so he had an MP5. Mm. Um, Navy SEALs. Yep. No, wait a second. You've proven out the nine mil thing. Maybe yeah. it's not the worst. It's not the worst. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you get it right, but not optimal. Uh, so absolutely. he, he's, he's been doing, uh, some, uh, meats and things and, and stuff for like a pistol, probably not the best thing to be running around camp with. So he's, he's got an MP5, um, which is great. Uh, unless you're actually doing CQB against people that are super dedicated. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, anyway, I remember bumping into him. I'm like, Drew, I know right where they're at. And he's like, well, let's go get them. I was like, Let, yeah, let's go get them. So he and I charge off by ourselves to, to go put the, put these guys down with, with your scar and his MP5. Yep, we're we're gonna go win now. Yep, and uh, I naively I was like, ha! Now there's two of us. They're going down for sure. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, unfortunately, they weren't just sitting there um, waiting for us to come again. They apparently made a plan and had uh, decided to do things a little differently. So Drew and I break off this little alley. Uh, and he's, he's on the far left. I'm on the far right. And we're, you know, doing cross coverage and we're, we're moving and hunting back down. And, uh, he's a, we're getting down to the, the last guy I shot and his vest didn't detonate. Um, and he's just kind of laying there and, uh, he's lightly smoking. Hmm. And I was like, well, as soon as you said that, I just pictured him going to- no, no, his no, I put his, yeah, his vest and then I was is like, like, oh yeah, 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 right, right, I forgot. Didn't so I, yeah, yeah, didn't so I was like, hey, Drew, stay away from them. They've got suicide vests on, which I should have brought up, you know, before we rounded the corner. <laughs> hey guys, real quick, forgot to tell minor you. detail. <laughs> yeah, you didn't want to unmotivate him. You didn't I didn't, want to, you know, <laughs> this guy's motivated. I'm taking him with me. And it's just yeah, all we're doing is off roading, yeah. and you, you get a cool paycheck. I always I. I <laughs> Circle back very well. Yeah, I oversell. <laughs> I oversell things constantly. Uh, but he, and he's he's like, huh? And uh, the the vest goes low order, which it doesn't explode. Uh, it just burns. So the the explosives at this point have have caught on fire, and it's this giant blowtorch that's probably you know twenty thirty feet in the air. That's cool. It was cool. It was uh, cool. And I and I it, I remember I it, it was hot. Um, I remember, uh, afterwards, all the, all the hair was singed uh, around my arms, uh, cause I'm a cool, super cool green beret. I don't have a shirt on. I'm in a t-shirt with, um, but you didn't have your brain, which at, is completely disappointing. Yeah. But let me ask this question. So suicide vests mm. get you guys super nervous, right? Like that. You're, I'm not a fan. Yeah. I mean, it gets your attention, right? Any like it's a big deal. Any, mm-hmm. any explosive that I'm not, um, in charge of gets me super excited. Yeah, I don't like yeah. it. Even I, somebody, I hate yeah. suicide vests just as much as I hate other people's landmines. You know, like. <laughs> but I mean, like that's something like that's a, oh, okay. This is way that, more yeah. serious than if yeah. they just had guns. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Belt bomb. Actually, yeah. belt bomb was scary because you couldn't ID it. Like a suicide mm-hmm. vest, maybe bulky, but body armor threw it off. So I don't know. Elaborate on that. How did that look? Was the, was so the, I couldn't even tell they had vests on. Um, yeah. The vest was... it. And uh, once we actually got a hold of a body that we only had one to kind of go off of, everybody else blew up. Mm-hmm. But it really just looked like the old uh, under soft armor for a plate carrier. So really? when they were just running around, I didn't I didn't notice the vest until they started 
you know, blowing up all the time. It was under the plate. Yeah. So, you, so it was like a bladder church with their body. And yeah. That's, and that's what I was picturing. Yeah. yeah. So that's, and that's how I, um, uh, was wounded was, uh, an AK brass with an undented primer hit me and it stuck in my arm. Like, so that's, was that the only injury? That, so I, I had other ones, you know, I, I, I herniated, uh, um, three discs in my, in my back, um, that was like the actual injury. But yeah, afterwards, everybody was real upset by my lack of, of, um, bullet holes. Cause you know, everybody else got shot and they're like, how did you not get, you got shot. You did. I was like, no, I didn't they're like, no, he's, he's in shock. He's definitely shot. It's the shock. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was, I just had that one piece of brass in my arm. Um, crazy. And it was in, it was in, uh, was in a, obviously it was in his magazine. So when his vest detonated, it split that magazine open, separated the uh, the round and the powder, and mm -hmm. then stuck in my arm. Did it hurt? Uh, I didn't even notice it uh, until, um, you know, afterwards when I was like, I didn't, I'm not hit. And then I went to wipe it, and I was like, that, what the hell is that? And yeah. it was, you know, there was a, an AK brass stuck in my arm. And, How far uh, was it stuck in your arm? Well, like a third of the way in. Oh. oh, so it was in there. It was in there. In there, it was in there. Yeah, I remember it, like pulling on it. And it had kind of created some suction, and yeah, it kind of popped out. Interesting. Yeah, as a medic, tear. <laughs> How do you it, feel about that? Uh, it sounds like a self-resolving problem. Wear sleeves. Yeah. Wear blouse. Probably. Yeah. Wear I mean, the jacket. army. Yeah, it gives you PPE, and I, you know, out there doing my own thing. Yeah, um, but you look cool as fuck. I looked there, awesome. Right? Yeah, super awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to keep bringing that up because I've got this whole mental model. Even I wish you did it in flip flops. I'm yep. just throwing that out there because that right, would be that'd cool. have been epic. Yeah. My yeah. whole I have vision like goes that. back to him dragging the rifle by the butt stock in the ground. The fact that you mm. didn't say you were <laughs> killing for a god and country one handed. <laughs> yeah. Most people can't do that. People uh, that are not trained, you know. Well, also, the, you know, it helps when they're, you know, in sitting room distance. I mean, anybody can make this shot. Yeah. Can they? they well, okay. You. Wait, wait, hold yeah. on. But do you guys train dragging a long sniper rifle by the buttstock while shooting one-handed? I've actually found tons of dudes. Either they fuck up and they don't sling their gun during a you know package, and they have to transition. Obviously, it's you know we train them to do so, and they look. They have this one moment. It happens once, and they go, "Shit, what do I do?" And then they tuck and they turn and they shoot, and then they're like, "Fuck, I'm never gonna you know." Be in do that, that situation, again. but transitioning yeah. from a vehicle to out, it's like, yeah, that, I don't know that time. I would do it different because the yeah. last thing I'd want was, you know, be, have that monster thing slung around me and then still, you know, be tangled up in that truck. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely held a 416 by the foreguard and shot one handed, but that's on a range, that's a one way range. Mm -hmm. I definitely haven't done that under duress or somebody shooting at me. Yeah. I mean, that is that is next level. Yeah, yeah I like it. I do remember that. I was like, man, how am I going to reload the pistol? And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't bring any magazines. It's not going to be a problem. Yeah, not an issue. I'm going <laughs> to yeet that thing at the bad guy when I'm down. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, that, you know, so Drew, obviously, as a, a living mammal, you know, hates um, intense temperature. So he ran over to my side of the, uh, the alley. Um, and either that guy's vest cut loose all his frags or they all had frags out. But they definitely all got their frags out. So he and I uh, got hit with about 10 to 15 hand grenades. Um, it's terrible. And yeah, we're just getting murdered with hand grenades. And uh, to the point, you know, later when I came back, I, I was like unnaturally not worried about the hand grenades. And I was like, everybody needs to calm down. Not good. They don't hurt you. And I don't know why I felt that way, but... Yeah. Um, 
They're yeah, not so we, fireballs like they are in the movie. No, like it's just pump. The, it's over, and then <laughs> yeah. I guess I was like, yeah, if you if it's gonna get you, you're not even gonna know. So don't worry about it so yeah. much. But uh, uh, everything was exploding. Um, I, I the the junction panel, the generator junction panel, and uh, uh, it's, it was almost big enough for both of us. And uh, I would shoot, and then tuck behind cover, and then knock him you know, out and then he'd shoot a little bit and then crawl back behind it. And this whole thing's probably 30, 40 seconds of, of nonsense. And, uh, I remember I, I actually, you know, like got hit with a, a hand grenade and, uh, you know, fell down and, and, uh, and then I remember something hit me in the back and I was like, what? I got my back. What the hell's that? And, and I looked down, there's a hand grenade, um, on the ground, uh, in front of Drew and I, and I just remember in the Marine Corps, they, they used to throw these damn hand grenades down the barracks and everybody would jump on them. Yep. It's like a thing. And I, I just remember, I was like, I'm never going to do that. Uh, so I would kick the shit out. Anybody that threw a hand grenade at me, I would always kick it. It's like, because if it ever comes up in combat, I'd rather, you know, I want to be a Lee Petri guy where like I attempted to fix the problem, not, you know, 100% solve it with my body. Right. Uh, Anyway, so I, I kicked the shit out of it, and and uh, it blew up somewhere else. Jeez, that's fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm the dumbass that was in the training evolution in the <laughs> army, and the grenade came in, and, and like, I couldn't do. I couldn't kick was an option. I just <laughs> fell on it. My squad leader smoked the fuck out of me. He's, He's like, like, "Don't idiot. fucking do that. That's for sure dead. <laughs> yeah, like, don't fucking do that. P- pick pick another way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so anyway, Drew, you know, Drew, um, he's like we. I remember him yelling, we got to get out of here. They're going to kill us. Like, hmm. Okay. And, uh, he kind of, he grabbed me and, and like, you know, start that movement. And, uh, we started, you know, traipsing down that wall. And, uh, I remember both of us just getting floored. And I don't know if it was a, a hand grenade or if somebody else tried to, um, tackle us with a suicide vest. And, uh, there was about a third of a torso right in front of that. So maybe it was, but that could have been from anything earlier. Uh, going back because we went back through there and everybody had a suicide vest on the, like the forensics of the battlefield were imprecise. So it's hard to say, but something blew us down. And, um, I remember, you know, kind of being, um, almost on all the way, um, uh, with my chest on the ground and I have slung my rifle at this point and, and, uh, Drew's like pulling me up, which is like unnatural. He's like trying to yank me back to my feet and we're still kind of, you know, scuttling back down this wall and I'm trying to get my rifle, um, you know, back in, in like the low ready and I, and it's all weird and I can't figure it out. And there's like stuff is not right. And, uh, what, what happened was I, you know, I modified my Mark 20 and I put a Mark 17 buttstock on it. So it's, it folds now and my bolt, my, my buttstock's folded. Um, and the reason it's folded is, uh, an arm, a forearm from, from just below the elbow had hit my buttstock and broke that little riser piece yep. off the, that's all shattered. And I got like this rubbery, I remember picking it up and, and like, oh, it's an arm. And I grabbed it, but it, it felt more like a squid tentacle because every bone in it was, right. was just demolished. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, that's the, that's the problem. There's an arm. There's an extra arm in here. Yeah, those darn arms got gotcha. you. Yeah. Which I remember, you know, think, of course that's the that's why I can't figure of out my gun. There's an yeah. extra arm in here. Yeah, um, trained for this. Some, and, somebody uh, throws a demolished body part at you. So I, action, go. I, I ran around this little corner again with this arm, and I guess there was a, a bunch of uh, at this point, you know, soldiers and and uh, sailors, 
who were trying to figure out what was going on. And uh, their introduction to the battlefield was that I ran around the, that corner with, you know, an arm. Holding an arm. And I don't even know what I was thinking, but I, I had the arm and I was like, you know, I do remember what I was thinking. I was like, this is evidence. Like, we're going to need these fingerprints um, for SSE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I threw it in the back of the truck, what, you know, for Makes later. Yeah. Uh, that's anyway, awesome. That, that's what I did. These grand guys are crazy. Yeah. They just keep body parts and run around <laughs> with them. That's, yeah, that was there. They were like, oh my, you know, so they ever, um, I don't wish to participate in whatever the hell this is. Yeah. I lost my ear necklace, so I just grabbed a forearm. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, we, and then there's, um, Mark Colbert comes, you know, limping up cause he's got, you know, that, that terrible wound in his, in his ass. And, uh, he's like, what the hell's going on? And, you know, you and Drew were like, you know, same thing. Hey, they're right down here. We know, let's go get them. And he's like, All right, well, hell, let's go get them. And you can't have a cool war story without a Navy SEAL. So now there's a Navy SEAL, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Turnipseed has arrived. We have a Mark 20, we have an MP5. Tell me he's got a musket or a hatchet or something. Uh, I, Guaranteed he had a hatchet. <laughs> so Guaranteed. He's there. He had a hatchet. Hand, ready uh, to go. Perfectly gelled hair, no helmet, yeah. uh, and a tank top. Uh, Gator sunglasses. No, he's he's done upright because he's there for the change of command. So he's got his, his pins and patches and, and uh, looks kind of right. And, uh, you know, he's... What are you guys doing? They're like right down there. We're we're gonna go get them. And he's like, "Sure, yeah, of course we are." <clears throat> and uh, Chief gets behind me, and I'm 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 like gonna lead him down there. So I start. I was like, "I'm gonna attack Mag," as one does. And there's no mags left on my vest. They're they're all gone. And I was like, Ooh, "Let me better check what I got in the in the gun." And I so I pull my magazine out. There's one round uh, Ooh. on there, which means I have two. There's still one in the chamber. But uh, I remember at this point, you know, the uh, Drew and the Lieutenant Termseed and uh, uh, are, have made their turn down the alley, and I'm not going to leave them hanging. So I step out there with them. But I'm like, "Hey, Chief, <laughs> uh, you have to take point." He's like, "I, I don't have any ammo." He's like, "He's like, you, you got to take point." And uh, and he's like, "What? What are you talking about?" I was like, "I'm, I'm out of ammo." And uh, he's probably like, "What an idiot! Why would you, why would you take point?" Uh, with no ammo, but he's like, sure, I'll take, I'll take point. I'll just get shot more so you can run around. And, uh, so he, he cruises past me. And, uh, this point that's this, uh, Polish soldier and then, uh, a 10th mountain soldier, Mike Aulis come running up and they're like, Hey, can we come with you? And we're like, of course you can en- engage the enemy in armed conflict. You're a soldier. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sure. Dude. Yeah. This is great. Um, <laughs> So we run down and so we, we get back toward this, um, junction panel and, uh, and chief make, you know, tragic mistake. He's like, yeah, I, I think you boys got them all. And they were waiting for that. That's the only English they spoke and they were to, to accentuate <laughs> the punchline. Uh, did he say it? Yeah. Said they it. said Go. we're ready. So yeah. they, they, uh, guy, um, lifts up and bounce passes us, uh, two, uh, two hand grenades and, you know, cacks his own vest off. And that's, you know, this, the grenades land. I remember looking at it and I was like, huh, it's not even, it's not even within six feet. I'm not even, you know, who gives a shit? Let's go. Mm-hmm. And everybody else, though, this is their first hand grenades of the day. So they're all real excited. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember, you know, uh, being horrified. Uh, my wife, you know, hates that part of the story. She's like, you're an idiot. If there's grenades, you, you hide from now on out. That's the new rule for the, new for the household. You're like, but all day, these grenades. Yeah. I was like, I had, I had such a great track record with it. <laughs> Um, 
I don't, yeah, I guess they make crappy grenades in, in Pakistan, but, uh, right. so they, they blew up. I, I w- wasn't hurt. I ended up, you know, kind of creeping back toward my little junction panel, which is my safe space, uh, for this particular day. And, uh, you know, Drew, I, I remember him just yelling, you know, like red bandana, red bandana. And, and I was like, Whoa. so he's he probably got a little tear in him. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, you know, he starts spinning a, a like an arc uh, and that his little MP5 is running on full auto. And I remember I was like, whoa. And uh, he starts shooting behind us. And then I hear an AK behind us. And one of these guys had run all the way around the outside of this, um, past all these other soldiers that had seen me with the arm and nobody thought to shoot him, which is, you know, the annoying part. Yeah. Like, uh, and, uh, and I turn around and I, I see him firing at us from behind and I fired my, my last two rounds at him. And uh, whether we hit him or whether he just decided to, to detonate his vest, I, I'm not sure. But uh, he'd, he'd closed most of the distance to uh, Mike Aulis and, and his vest detonated. I'm going to go with you hit him in the vest and it detonated because I like that. Eh, well, maybe. I think it was, if, his, if I caused it, may, maybe, maybe Drew caused it. I just remember being like, well, that was it. I'm out. And then, uh, you know, probably a quarter second or so later, the vest detonated. So I don't know if it was you mine. You got the pistol with it, what, a couple, three so, rounds in it maybe? Um, yeah, I got my, my pistol. It's got uh, no rounds in it because uh, okay. I transitioned one more time when when uh, my my uh, when I was trying to figure out my rifle. I transitioned, emptied my pistol as we were moving back down that wall. Uh, so gotcha. my pistol is 100% empty now. Okay. And uh, I was like, well. So you got no ammo, no grenades. I got no ammo, no grenades. And, uh, what I was about like, like the, I thought green braids did a lot of stuff with K bars. Like, so I, you guys I actually had those? my, I had my pocket knife. I got it out. <laughs> I had a big zero tolerance. Uh, was, I think it's a zero 300, uh, just a monstrous pocket, bigger pocket as, cause I'm a super cool sniper and I have a over annoyingly sized, uh, pocket knife as you should. And, yeah. uh, I, I had, that's what I got out. So I had my pocket knife out, man. I thought you were kidding. That's okay. No. So I, yeah, I got my, I got my pocket knife out and I, and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And, and anyway, so I see Mike, um, uh, obviously he just ate a suicide vest from like three feet. So I'm, I'm like, well, that's, if I don't have any ammo, I'm, I'm going to be the guy. So I ran over and, and, and grabbed him, um, and drug him back into the uh, UAV compound and, uh, started, you know, treating him and, and he was torn up, um, uh, pretty bad. So I, I stabilized him as, as best I could. And uh, as I'm doing it, you know, th- th- this was the last fighter that was there with us. But the the base of fire past there is still, you know, cranking RPGs and and uh, PKM fire at us. And I didn't know, so I'm like, and I don't know. Everybody else kind of ran off to wherever they went, and um, I just remember being like really nervous. And I'm, I'm like, I'm here, just my pocket knife, and I'm trying to treat this treat this guy. And if they come in here, they're just going to shoot me in the back. And then I look over and I see a civilian contractor. And I was like, hey, come here. And he's like, what should I do? And so I'm like, hey, do you, can you, do you know how to run a rifle? He's like, yeah. So I, I send the bolt home on empty chamber and I'm like, watch my back. And he's like, cool. So he's posted up. It looks uh, scary if nothing. Yeah. Else. I mean, so at, least, at least I figure he'll be like, you know, ah, <laughs> 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 somebody runs in here with us. And, uh, and at that um, point, you'll turn and get a nice yeah, I'll throwing. Yeah, I'll kill. figure something. I'll cross yeah. that bridge when it you know yeah. gets there. But uh, I, you know, I got tourniquets on Mike, and uh, and I'm assessing his injuries. I'm like, this he needs more than uh, an 18 Bravo. He needs like a re- he needs a real doctor. 
but we're on a fob. So I'm like, you know, this, we can get this kid. I can almost fire him and carry him to the, to the surgical, um, center in like, you know, 30 seconds. So I, you know, I'm like, Hey, do you have a, you have a car or something? He's like, I've got a, you know, mule. I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's something. Go get it. And, uh, we, uh, throw Mike in the back and I'm like, Hey, get him to the, get him to the hospital. And, uh, he's like, I don't know where it's at. Like, this camp is tiny. How do you not know where the hospital's at? And, uh, you know, another, uh, another U.S. soldier runs up and I'm like, you know, Hey, do you know where the hospital's at? And he's like, I know exactly where it's at. And he's got an M4. He's got no kit on. Uh, so I, I slap his rifle out of his hand. I was like, good, show him where the hospital's at. I'll cover you. <clears throat> and he was like super let down. But, uh, um, that, you know, they pulled out, cover him and they, they blow on down the highway and, uh, got Mike to the, the tent, I think like a minute later. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, he, like he, there was there was nothing to be done for him. He he died at the uh, hospital. That's about. That's all she wrote. Absolutely so, unreal story. How? What ended this attack? So they had a twenty thousand pound bomb that, in our opinion, was supposed to come and and detonate on the main ECP, and then the forces that were in that hospital would be allowed to kind of run in. And or not in the, the forces that were in the hotel would be allowed to run in, or maybe that was the whole point of it, just to get that bomb far enough into the camp. Because uh, twenty thousand pounds is like there, there is no place on that that fob where where you could survive that, even in a bunker. It's just too big. Mm-hmm. Like that's uh, really, really big, right? That's like crazy big. That's what do they estimate the the bomb that actually went off? Do so they, the mine, you know, not knowing exactly what it's made of, they're they're saying three to four thousand pounds, okay. just based on the crater and how big it is, and their yeah, the common knowledge reference. of the yeah. HME in the region. Was yeah. this like a Kalat wall or Hesco? No, wall? no, this was this was uh, I believe it was triple stack eleven foot Hescos across, and, and then it a blew tier a hole of in two that. on top, and then one on top of that. Wow! And it it blew. Yeah, I, I want to say like a sixty foot hole in that, and then monstrous. Crater. That is a big, big it's charge. A, it's so, so it blew my door off the hinges. Yeah, um, or in my little can, and that can was seven hundred meters uh, away. Wow. Um, yeah, it was strong. It was strong work. Yeah. So it's getting a, back to what actually oh, so, ended the, the yeah, the, the I guess the fuel the fuel pump went out on this truck. So the guy just got out of it and walked off. Uh, the truck just broke down. So they're obviously those guys in the hotel are starting to catch hell. Um, from the, you know, the Polish unit was there was a, like a light armored, uh, unit that has some, you know, fairly serious hardware. The Afghan army that's out in town, uh, which they'd been catching their own hell. The, there were several attacks all through the city. Um, they're moving down there and, uh, and then the AOB had the, the most amount of green berets in one place, probably in that, in the entire theater at that point for this damn for change of command. command. Yeah. So they're all over there, you know, um, shooting the shit out of those guys, and I forget exactly what they said, but they, you know, and, and it's you know, I hate to be the, the body count. You know, we killed thousands, but uh, I think we, you know, I think the Taliban even admitted we got forty or fifty fighters were killed in that attack, and uh, they considered it fairly unsuccessful. So they had um, they had several follow-on attacks um, through the country that they had planned that they actually um, just you know canceled them because it just the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Yeah. Because they they were worried there were green berets that had 
pistols. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that yeah. super cool sniper guy. The super cool sniper guy. Else. Right. You know, and for only the only the only American soldier that was killed was uh, Mike Hollis. While a tragedy, um, not not a great headline. You know. Right. Because uh, we killed all the the uh, suicide vest guys as they intended. I guess maybe that was a win for them. But uh, um, I mean, even just those guys, just just that you know, um, ten eleven guys, they killed one American. Not a not a profound headline that you want to trumpet around. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's it, obviously a tragedy, but the fact that only... Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in, you know, in hindsight, <clears throat> they they had little, fairly well done little uh, um, sketches of the camp. GRGs? With, uh, yeah, like a GRG. Yeah. And it had their little route. And uh, what we kind of assume, because they had, they were really... Uh, loaded up, so they weren't just a, a pure suicide bomber. That's just the vest is the main weapon. Mm -hmm. The the vest um, was kind of like their last weapon. So they they all had around ten to fifteen hand grenades. They all had around ten to fifteen um, underbell grenades for the the AK uh, forty mag Mike grenade launcher, mm -hmm. and they all had you know like twenty mags of brand wow. new um, Chinese armor piercing incendiary ammunition that was pretty high quality. Mm. And uh, so we we kind of think that little that little assault force was supposed to run down that main avenue and then just kill everybody in those bunkers because um, once again that preparatory fire um, kind of conditioned the camp to, to hang out in those bunkers. So we think they were just supposed to sweep down there and just you know do a mass casualty thing uh, mm -hmm. down that street. That's an unreal amount of ordinance on a yeah. fighter. Yeah, because typically you find them they got like you know six mags maybe if that yeah. yeah. And, and one uh, of them has the spring hanging out. Yeah. Yeah. No, these guys, everything was brand new. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that is wild. Yeah. yeah that's a well. crazy story. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, as, as we established, I've known you for a couple of years. I've never actually heard this story oh, start right. to finish. I've heard you tell a couple pieces, pieces of, of it. it. Jamie told me a couple pieces of yeah. it. I just never really thought to ask you start to finish. Yeah. Well, yeah, here it is. <laughs> Better yet. We did it Holy now. Holy shit. Yeah. That's, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. That's nuts. It's completely yeah. wild. That is unbelievable. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That was rad. Super rad. Oof. Where do you go from that? Well, you know what? I think the only thing that you didn't do was uh, offhand pistol shooting. I'm, I'm recounting everything in my mind. And it's the, absolutely the only thing that I that you didn't do. Mm. Sock pee. I, yeah, I did not do any sock pee. Yeah. <laughs> but you had the knife out. I, I had mean, the knife out. I, yeah. had, I had the good intent in my heart. Yeah, the, I was yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, you were ready for it. Extra large it. pocket knife. I feel like if it had gone on another five to ten minutes, you probably would have had that chance. So, yeah, and I, I remember, you know, Drew was deep in it too, and I, and I remember uh, only scar heavy. So like, as we kind of were getting back together, I was like, "Hey, are you are you out of ammo?" He's like, "No, I'm good." Like, can I have some? And then he started looking through his kit, and he's like, "No, he's he's not. He's out of ammo too. He had five rounds in his last mag and his MP5." So I remember he he stripped off one round and gave it to me. So I like <laughs> I put that in my pistol, and I was like. Damn, man. <laughs> what am I? <laughs> uh, and uh, so I was like, I can't, like, you know, I can't walk, I can't get back to the camp like this. So I did the other thing, like super annoying. In the 18 Bravo course, they're, they're always giving you a bucket full of parts and you got to build guns because th that's going to happen one day. You'll see. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I need a gun to get out of here. So I, I went and grabbed an AK off the ground and it was like ruined. I had a, uh, one of my one of my rounds, my three hundred eight rounds, had come through the magazine and stretched out the receiver, okay. and I was like, oh. "Well, 
that one looks okay. So I, I go over to it and, uh, it's got, um, one of my rounds through the bolt. And I was like, so this thing's a train wreck. I was like, but together they're, that's one whole gun. So I pulled the bolt out of the one with the bad receiver and I threw a bolt into the one that had a, a bad bolt. And, uh, but neither one of them had, uh, um, top covers, the dust covers. But, you know, they always, mm. they told me, in the, you don't need that. That's just a dust cover. So I, I uh, you know, put it together and tune, 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 fired a couple rounds. And I was like, all right, well, there, scratched that. And I just remember being super annoyed at my uh, uh, small weapons instructors. I'm like, I'm never going to be on the battlefield and have to assemble a gun for time. That doesn't happen. But that's uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So all the training. I did all, yeah, all, yep. the, tra- all the training. He did all the things. The only thing you didn't do was land nav. I didn't do land nav. Yeah. yeah. He, was, he was train associated. Which between, we, yeah. you know, it <laughs> was so important in selection. Yep. Yeah. Didn't play any part in this story. Tiny knots? Like, uh, no, I didn't tiny knots. No knots, no land nav. You need to adjust selection. Yeah, they do They do need to adjust selection. It's yeah. completely wrong. Yeah. And maybe less running. And uh, I was the only, <laughs> so I was the, uh, I was injured. Um, after we got back, I, I went to get a cup of coffee and and uh, I was like, I'm going to take my kid off. And uh, it's all topped up and I'm ready to get back in the fight. I remember my back hurting. Mm-hmm. And uh, the calmer I get, the more I'm like, man, this is really uncomfortable. Because, you know, at, at this point, I'm 33, so I don't know what a bad back feels like. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my hernia. Did you feel like your body was going to fold in half once it settled in? I didn't feel it until I took my kid off. Yep. So as soon as I, I remember, I'm going to drink this coffee and just relax for a second and then I'll, I'm going to go help. Because everybody's, um, you know, we're at 100%. Every tower's got guys in it and we're, you know, still putting out weird fires and there's UXO everywhere. And I'm like, but I'm going to take a moment to myself. And I, as soon as I unbuckled my uh, kit, I, my body tried to break me in half and that was, uh, all the muscles started spasming and, uh, and it was, uh, 10 kinds of painful and, uh, and, uh, you know, my medic came and I was, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? And I described it and he started sticking me with narcs and, and, uh, Valium and, uh, which really annoyed everybody else because and if you remember, I didn't get shot. Everybody else has like freaking <laughs> bullet holes in them. And you're getting, uh, you're getting the drugs. And the chief's up in a tower all night. Uh, and they were like, Where's Earl at? And they go, like, Oh, they, they gave him narcs and uh, he's in bed. He had to go to sleep. And they took his, you know, you, you can't be doing narcs and, ha- and have yeah. a gun. Yeah. Well, you fine because you had one bullet anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I got to, you know, that night I slept all night and woke up rather refreshed. And everybody else was manning, uh, you know, a post all night. <laughs> when you think the story can't get any better, you just get a good night's sleep. At the yeah, end of it. <laughs> but you went hard in the pain early. Yeah, so you deserve that. You know, and you were ready to go the next day. I was not. I remember getting out of bed the next morning, and I couldn't bend over to get my boots. And uh, um, I, I remember I got my cell phone and, and called my buddy uh, um, Ben. I was like, I can't get my pants off the floor, man. So he, he came in and, and I stick my feet over the bed, and he like worked my pants on and you know, put my boots on. He's like, you know, tell no one this story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, and I, you know, only because the trip, the deployment was basically over and, uh, it's a, you know, culturally I did not want to get medevaced. It's a, it's almost a worst night. A Green brace, worst nightmare is getting medevaced. No, you know, and, and, uh, even our, my buddy, Matt, um, who was on the four wheeler, you know, he got, you know, shot, 
in the helmet from you know point blank range, and then you know shot through his calf, and he had a, a fairly significant hole in his leg, and he uh, you know you know pulled the typical thing you know the the hospital down in Bagram's looking for him, and he got back on a ring route flight and was back in the camp two days later, and uh, you know they were. You know, it's like, like a Vietnam story that I grew up right. here, and they're like, hey, no. <laughs> this guy, you can see through him. He can't stay in country. He's got- <laughs> <laughs> you can see through him. Uh, and uh, the, the, I got to stay in country, um, which was, in hindsight, the dumbest thing I ever did. Um, because I, I needed to be in a, a hospital. I needed to start um, a rehab or therapy um, for the injury and by, by staying in there, man, it, it really set me back kind of a long time before I was fully functional again. And, How long uh, was recovery? Um, technically it was, uh, six months, but, uh, only because I was, a uh, in first group in the regiment and, uh, um, I wasn't getting better fast enough. So I was on my way to a med board. Um, but I was getting better. So the, the, our doc at the time, um, you know, they pulled me off of the P3, which saved me from being med boarded mm-hmm. and with the, you know, the unit understanding like, Hey, like this is not a useful green beret. So it was about a year before, um, I, I could actually, uh, function, um, as a useful you member. Said of the there room. was three herniated discs. Yep. And then three herniated discs, uh, and all, I guess all the explosions had, uh, uh, your pelvic girdle. Is like super susceptible susceptible to shock, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I guess all those muscles kind of got paralyzed. Mm. And if I had entered rehab um, <laughs> sooner than later, it had been like you know a one month problem. Yeah. But by toughing it out, um, and you know, I I met people there, and I, I was on narcs like that whole that whole like last month. I was you know basically at, you know, high, yeah, and. Uh, I remember doing, you know, I don't remember people like, I met you at the end of the, of the rotation. You did a handover with me. I was like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> was it after co- my morning coffee? Cause that's yeah. when I took my drugs and yeah. I was Berkus super, a, a, a very a, pleasant fellow. Yeah. <laughs> a lovely thing. Yep. And I love having conversations. Yeah. And, uh, but man, yeah, all that stuff atrophied, uh, significantly. Mm-hmm. So then I had to like overcome the, the, you know, the, the, just the pain associated with it and to kind of learn how to live with that and then rebuild all that, um, you know, core stability so that I, I, I could function. Does it still affect you today? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a, I, I guess the, what their thing is you went, I fast forwarded from, uh, being a 30 year old to a, uh, a 70 year old as far as like spinal health goes. Mm-hmm. I, I just bulged two discs when I was young and I remember, the feeling after, and obviously not in nearly the, the dramatic fashion that you did, but it was overseas. And I remember I'm like, after it happened, I felt like my body was going to fold in half. And I had this moment of, fuck, I, I'm going to own this one kind of for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just a simple back injury. Not as- <laughs> I, yeah. I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I kept thinking it was going to heal up because mm-hmm. I'd never been hurt where it doesn't heal up. And uh, I don't think I'd ever, I'd never been injured where it took more than like a week or two, you know, to, to, to bounce back from it. Right. So I, I remember, uh, you know, especially in a, it's something I always, I look for now, um, is, uh, in the leader, you know, when you're taught leadership, you know, physical performance is one of the first ways to like display leadership as a young NCO. And it was like, so being the strongest, fastest guy was like a key part of my personality. Like, um, and then so I, overnight I lost it, mm. which was, um, in, in, 
a blessing or maybe a, maybe a curse. Because um, I, I see my peers struggle with it um, as it comes on gradually aging in the regiment. And, you know, sooner or later, you're not the strongest guy by any means. Like, and nobody's impressed with how fast you run because you are the slowest guy. And uh, <laughs> But also you're probably a little bit more wiser than those young guys. Um, and that's where, yeah, you're, you, you transition your leadership style to, um, I, I've done everything already. Like, I will tell you how to do it the right way. And I'll tell you the wrong way and then I can't make you do anything. Right. But uh, yeah, you know, being like the, the guy with the experience and there is a transitionary period in there where, you know, maybe you still don't have... You're not the sage wizard yet. You're uh, <laughs> mid road, yeah. and uh, and it, it took me a while to like figure out a, a new way uh, to you know be a leader. And uh, I made uh, became a team sergeant at probably before I was ready to, and uh, I was very physically fit at the time. And uh, I, yeah, I had to. I didn't have like one traumatic thing that happened. It's just kind of like I turned 38 and my body said, you hey, remember all that shit you used to do? <clears throat> now you're paying for it. And I wasn't the fastest anymore. Man, that was a, that was a blow to the ego. And that was, you the nail on the head with having to transition to leadership styles because all of a sudden I couldn't, I couldn't just rely, rely on I'm out front. Yep. Which yeah, is I'm, hard to do in special forces anyway, because you've always got new guys coming in that are younger and harder than you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that was that's no, that's not a realistic way to, yeah. to age uh, anywhere, but especially not here. And yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, was, I like catching. And for me, I was, you know, I have a super cool story, um, and you know, associated with my injury, and and some guys don't have that, so that's a that's a struggle bus for real. If you got maybe nobody, so maybe you, you know jumped out of the helicopter before the crew chief said they were on the ground and you bulge your disc being an idiot like yep. doesn't doesn't invalidate your injury like yeah. it's, it's a little harder one to talk about yeah mine's an idiot story yeah yeah not I even mean, worth telling affects <laughs> everything idiot, i do now but yeah yeah well earl um, i know uh most guests we would say what's next for you or et cetera so forth but you're still on active duty so yeah i'm still i'm still a team sergeant i'm still uh have to go to you know PT with my team and and not be the best. Uh, they tolerate it right now. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm gonna yeah. I think that's uh, I had set my goal. I always want to be a team sergeant, and uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do after that. I'll figure that out later. Yep. Um, and I think uh, my first team sergeant in special forces, Brian Bolin, um, told me something. I was like, I'm gonna keep that for forever. And uh, he said they don't pay us enough to to work here if you're not having fun. So the first day that you are driving to work and you're not pumped to drive, do yourself and do everybody else a favor and get the hell out of here. And so I, I'm, I think that's going to be my yardstick. As soon as I'm, I'm not super uh, excited on my drive into work, I'll, you know, kind of drift on out the back door. It's yeah. awesome advice. It really is. Yeah. yeah. So bringing this background kind of to where everything started, what uh, what sage advice would you have for somebody out on the street thinking of doing this? Because I know there's no more go to war, or go to jail. You can't get in a fist fight and end up where you're at anymore. No, you have to be. You do have to be more careful, man. Like, yep. like the 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 high school experience I had, there's zero percent chance I could re, re, uh, recreate that life. Um, so you do have to be. You know, you have to be more mature earlier um, if you wanted to uh, a career in the military because we. Not, they don't tolerate it anymore. Yeah. I remember when I was a uh, in the infantry, like got, everybody got. I mean, we had DUIs 
you know, every weekend and the, and all we were, we had a number that we were trying to cut it down to, to, to like, <laughs> that was acceptable. And, and basically if you were at E4 below and you got DUI, nobody cared. Like maybe, I mean, you might get extra duty and you're out 10 grand, but, uh, you know, nobody cared. Now, if you have a DUI, like, like there's a good chance you won't be able to enlist in the military at all. Right. Um, and that's a hard one because, you know, I'm a terrible example of, of a, as a young adult, I, I did everything the stupidest, uh, way possible. And, uh, you have to, you know, caution those, you get, you almost got to get them while they're in junior high. Like if you have even an inkling that you want to be in the military, you need to start acting right now, which is, is pretty absurd, really. Like, I like the idea that, um, like you have to be able to learn from your mistakes. And, and, uh, it seems, it seems like we're kind of getting away from that as just a, a culture in the country in, in general. Like what's, I mean, that's across the board. I mean, like there's people, like you were talking about passive pilot. Mm-hmm. It's like I think in the movie Traffic, the guy made a comment. He's like, "How do you fight on the or how do you fight the war on drugs if you've never done drugs?" And there's people that have done things in their past. Just made a, you know, I would I would rather be surrounded by people that have made mistakes and learn from them than like people that have never made mistakes. In fact, I don't want anything to do with people that have never made mistakes because I doubt we have a whole lot in common. You know, like. You know, I'm not advocating drug use, but like when you're growing up, like if you've never experimented with stuff or tried things, I mean, your kids, I mean, you can't expect kids to make good decisions. You know, I mean, I, that's, I, that's I was why very they're not as legally you. culpable they, I was, because they're idiots. <laughs> I was very similar to you growing up. I did a bunch of dumb, dumb stuff, you know, um, but like the decisions and mistakes that I made have an effect they probably made me a better person as an adult you know oh, because yeah. it's like i can give say hey man don't that's stupid you well, know a dad i mean absolutely yeah. i did all the dumb shit yeah and i can go I, again i don't want to guide them so much that i'm not allowing them to make their right. own mistakes but i i can tell them about the big ones bumper yeah. rail them yeah. yeah like don't yeah. do these big ones Everything yeah nothing's else. worth drinking and driving yeah. i don't give it like Agreed. especially now that we have uber and, uh, and all that stuff it's like drinking and driving that's just stupid don't but but I've done it plenty of times. Sure. I'm not proud of it at all, but I have, you know. And I think there's just a lot of people that would be better served. The country, government, all kinds of stuff would be better served if there were, if they, if there was, if there were people that had made dumb mistakes. Mm-hmm. But now they go back and they purge, look at people's Twitter profiles going back 10, 12, oh, 15 years and stuff. Thank, and it's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm echo chamber for everybody. Thank God that stuff wasn't around. Oh my God. You yeah. want to talk to a real idiot. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, find me when I was 17. Yeah. Like that, I would don't want to be associated with anything I did or said. Oh yeah. Same here. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, people that haven't made mistakes, like, uh, you know, they're, they're just it's unknown or, you know, the big, you know, special forces seeks out, like we want risk takers right. and, and risk takers get it wrong sometimes. Right. So like if you have somebody that's never, um, ever been in, got it wrong once, it probably means they never, ever really tried anything, or pushed anything too far. Yeah. 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 It's like, I have a, I have one of my closest friends, like, I don't know that he's ever super successful guy, but like, I don't know that he's ever made a mistake. Like in he's hyper, hyper, hyper conservative and his risk tolerance is virtually zero. FBI agent. Exactly. ATF guy. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, 
Like how how can you re- like how can you like in y'all's previous jobs, current jobs? Like how can you read a situation like when you've never hung out with nefarious people or you know or hung around mm. a bunch of assholes or just shitty people? Like how can you go from being like this pure person that's never made a mistake or gotten in trouble, and all of a sudden we're going to insert you where you have to interact with the worst sons of bitches on this planet, and we want you to do a really good job with them? Yeah, I never thought about. It. I guess yeah. You know, um, you got to mix it up a little bit. You also use my favorite word, which is nefarious. I like that it's, word. I like Tear like taught me. Uh, I like the word uh, malicious as well. But Tear, hey, one day I was using. You said, "Are you referring to malaise?" And I was like, "Don't, don't, don't mess with me. Yeah. Did you <laughs> don't insert another thing in there." Where I, it's like effect and effect, <laughs> a and e. Like I, you've ruined. I don't use that word anymore. The good call word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, um, But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, I think. Everything goes back and forth, um, and I, I hope as a as a country and a culture, we're kind of at the end of like let's hold everybody super accountable for everything they they think or say, and we'll, we'll drift back a little bit, um, you know. And because obviously people make level. mistakes, and you just gotta like if somebody has learned from it, and like uh, you know shows some regret, like okay, let's do it. And then, but you know, the same thing. If, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, man, like you know, sorry. Yeah, but another thing that you guys don't tolerate is is injury and recovery. Like you guys are taught, like from from a career perspective, like you hide your injuries, like you don't want them on your. Oh well, so that's we tolerate it. And uh, the the thing is, you know, an ODA only has twelve people on it, right? It, so if you if you sprain your ankle or hurt your knee, and you're missing that that unit's next deployment, you you like you're you're a significant part of the manpower and uh and i don't think i've ever been on a team where everybody wasn't like down to their very core invested in that team's win mm-hmm. right so they they feel like if i if i take a knee there's nobody to carry that weight except for the rest of the team and it's going to you know like re- there's a very real chance it could affect the mission and uh you know the second thing is um yeah there is a certain there are certain injuries where you will get you know med boarded out of the military and uh not you know not every green beret is a doctor so they don't know what injury they have how bad it is right so in, until it literally keeps them from getting out of bed in the morning most guys will ride that thing in um and and hide hide it because they they just want to stay in the regiment as long as possible well, i'm sure you know guys that have like ankle or soft tissue injuries mm-hmm. and soft tissue is non-vascular they take forever to heal mm-hmm. and it's like oh man i've had a bum knee for the past eight years it's like well may- maybe maybe take a little bit of time and let those tendons and ligaments heal so the, just try it so you'll be amazed yeah well, we have a we have a really good program now uh called thor and it's it nests in uh physical therapy or our docs uh, in the battalions with our our trainers, and we we spot stuff like this now. Um, and uh, we figured out that it's it's cheaper to fix a, a broken green beret than to go out and, and uh, recruit and train a new one. So we're we're really kind of shifted the paradigm on on mm-hmm. on that. Where uh, plus we you know um, by centralizing our our workouts, and then uh, you, we have these coaches. They're 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 keeping really close track of, of your performance. You, you can't really hide an injury like the old days. Like you can't duct tape your ankle and stick it in a jungle boot and, and hide that because, you know, you're, you have a coach. It's like, hey, your front squat is like not right. What's going on? And uh, uh, I'd be interested to see how it ma- kind of matures as we go down the road because we're catching these injuries earlier, making a guy get it fixed, and then reintegrating him into uh, a training with the team. Um, 
but with with somebody there, it's like no, right. like, you're not going to go do you know a 400 pound deadlift. You're an idiot. And uh, stop. Yeah, I mean, it's like you don't ever want to lose your starting spot. It's like in football, yeah, you don't no, lose your super, starting yeah, spot to an injury. Super competitive. You know? Yeah, and you're you're talking about you know the uh, the super alpha male that that's, he's already he's already probably frustrated because he's he may not be the best at this particular event. Now he's got this injury, and uh, and that's the guys you know you know taking um, whatever drug that's going to temporarily fix his issue, and he's going to go make it worse. Right. I think we've improved as a culture, you know, starting out in the army, there was nothing. We had a coach, you know, mm-hmm. a strength and conditioning coach in the gym and that was it. You know, fast forward, you know, 21 years later almost, well, no, 21 years, we've got dry needling and physical therapy yeah. and the strength dry coach and the chiropractor, All they're all right there every day. There's two to three of them on staff right outside the gym. You sign up. If you got an injury, you're doing your PT there, you know, you you're know, getting fixed. You know what there. dry needling is? Yeah. Do I? You, yeah. Absolutely. I, I yeah. think dry, dry needling is the most hilarious thing on the planet. It is. It is pretty funny. It's a it's a great test. If somebody's actually injured, they'll let you do that to them twice. Yeah. <laughs> a serious injury. But also, you got, if they don't show back up again, they were faking. Yeah. It's not really hurt. <laughs> the guys are going in and they're getting fixed. You know, it's yeah. no longer I got to hide it. It's hey, tell me how bad it is. Yeah. But what I think is a lot of times, you know, throughout my career, you're constantly for a long time. I was waiting. I'm like, it'll get better. And I'm not evaluating really yeah. how bad it is, even as a you know right. poorly well, trained medical professional. And some, so something we did, and uh, and is we we put the physical therapy. It's right in the middle of our workout floor. Mm-hmm. So if your team's in there working out, you're with them still, yep. which is is different culturally because you know back in the day you would go to sick call, and uh, even when I was had you know terrible injuries, I never went to sick call because that's where all the assholes are at that are trying to get out of the formation run Mm -hmm. and they've got these mystery um, injuries and you just don't, you don't want to be associated with them. They got the the malaise. malaise. (laughs) Um, And that's, that's where all the dirt bags in the unit are always at sick call, which, um, so when you're not, we were actually hurt though. You're like, where do you go? Cause if you miss something, you're a sick call. Even if you have the most sterling record in the planet, it's always like, Hmm. Yep. Um, But you know, now by nesting that thing, it's part of, it is a part of the, the physical, fitness it's nested in there so if you're getting treatment you're you're still with your team and i I was like that is like the best thing ever we could have ever done i figured that's probably what happened to that one uh vbit driver that didn't show up he had to go to sick call or yeah where is that guy probably had a dental appointment he had a dental appointment yeah he's like i had a dental appointment (laughs) you know if, if you miss a dental appointment they call Though yeah. I can't, I can't blow a, myself up today. Sarge. The Taliban I'm a CSM and dental. they tell me missed it, so I that's going to be a big deal. I'm, I'm red on I'm red on med pros. Yeah, well, I wonder <laughs> I wonder where that guy's at. <laughs> the, he just walked off. Yeah, just walked. The truck walk broke off. down. Yeah. Like, oh, you'll get the next one. You're like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> probably governor now. Yeah, Grant probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, Earl, uh, first off, thank you so much for uh, for connecting with me and offering to do this and tell your story uh, because. Honestly, I was a little uncomfortable asking you to tell your story. Uh, um, it's been, yeah, I always forget because I tell everybody at work because it, it was an awesome story to me. Yeah. Uh, but, every, you know, there is that perception of like, was it a bad day? And I'm right. Like, well, it was really Jamie Alden that kind of pushed me over the well, edge on this. Yeah. Like, it, but you told it in such a relatable way. There was never a moment of like, well, there I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was none of that. It was extremely relatable. And like, you somehow wove a tremendous amount of humor into the story, yeah. which I but thought I was, I mean, I'm not making light of it, but it's like, oh, I mean, I could see you like kind of chuckling around laughing and 
blowing stuff up and getting shot at. Yep. Yeah. And then getting pissed because you have sand in your back. <laughs> That was the, the worst. Lo- that was the low point for him. The sand <laughs> got down his shirt. Damn it. What's wrong? Yeah, I know. I'm fine. It's sand in my back, butt crack. <laughs> so something we do uh, to wrap up um, each each episode of this is uh, we uh, we donate, uh, Black Rifle donates $1,000 to the charity of our guest choice. So uh, you have one you'd like us to donate on behalf of? I, d- I didn't know. I hadn't prepped anything. I should have prepped you. You should have prepped no, me. But... No, no, no. It's better that you did it. We want to see him think on his feet. We're exercising I think we can, his brain. We've seen what he can do. I, you know, if, <laughs> I, uh, my old, uh, I guess standby would be the the, the charitable trust. Uh, that's, that's a good one. Those guys are in there. Yeah. Getting after it. SF Charitable Trust. Uh, man, they have, um, they really, you know, they've taken care of me, especially when, when I was um, recovering. They, they put some really good trips together and they, they uh, have access to a lot of things that you wouldn't think that you need, but um, uh they they definitely bat uh, above their weight. Yeah, um, yeah. Small awesome. undersung charity. Yeah, yeah. I like them a lot. And they, I mean, they're down there in the trenches finding the guy that that needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what they they, uh, they came through and and uh, put me and my wife on some trips, probably at some key points that um, helped me recover and, and kind of really kind of probably saved our marriage because I don't know if you've ever had to be married to a Green Beret that was um, severely injured, but they're they're like. Really terrible people to share a house. I was with. not, but I have been a Green Beret in three different marriages, and realized oh, so you, that the common denominator was me. So yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, the first yep. step is yeah. admitting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> admitting you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, Earl, Master Sergeant Earl Plumley, Medal of Honor recipient. Yep. Thanks yeah, for coming, enough. man. It's a pleasure. Oh, Thanks for having me, Kev yeah. Baker, Free Range America. That was sure. great. We're out. That concludes today's training. Any questions? Woo! Drum titties, boy!